Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattleagin Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! I'm being downgraded from hosting duties for this particular episode, everyone. Mark has pulled executive privilege on me, and in protest, a significant portion of my review tonight will be done via cue card, so anyone listening in the audio format is just out of luck. Just off camera is a guy that I've hired from Opalaka with a gun. Great, so our host has become uh, Christopher Walken, good to know. Well, you see... Tonight we're going to be discussing. <laughs> my watch is terrible. I had, this really movie, is. I had this movie up my ass for four long months. Wow, both uh, your walkins suck. Yeah, well, I know I, I get. I, I know I get erections in her presence, but I don't feel them. Uh, speaking That's of erections, fa- that is my favorite walk-in line ever. For those of you who don't know, that comes from a movie with him, Andy Garcia, Christopher Lloyd, Treat Williams called what things to do in denver before uh when you're dying i've heard of that movie hey that other voice you're hearing is alexis hayna welcome back on the show alexis glad to be back you guys miss me absolutely uh do you miss cleo no no um, cleo. <laughs> <Do you> miss... <laughs> all right so i missed cleo i was waiting for you to say you did you're the you're the other dog person on this show i am all right, Robert, um before i take away your hosting duties because yeah. this is yet yet again and I'm really thinking about changing the marketing of this whole operation. This is the Rattledge and Broadcasting Therapy Services. This is a safe space for people <laughs> to, to, to vent their, fu- their frustrations and their feelings. Uh, this is less now about craft review and more about uh, un- unveiling one's emotions and you whatnot. Have a... <laughs> Somehow you have wildly mischaracterized my disgust with this film. It's hard to read you through chat. It's hard I'm to aware. read anyone through chat. Um, I, I'm aware of the limitations of the purely text format, just so everyone knows. Mm. My disgust with the movie we're discussing tonight, which is The Matrix Resurrection slash Regurgitation slash Recycling. You're not the critical drinker. Stop that. No, but it was a good line. So <laughs> It I'm really was. It. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm, o- I'm only doing it the one time. We're talking about The Matrix Resurrections. Mm-hmm. I prefer the Matrix regurgitations. I know it was a good line. <laughs> oh no, that one's for Jeremy Johns. Oh, okay, well then everyone's doing that. the same shtick now. Oh, everyone's made this joke. Yeah, my disgust with this particular film has nothing to do with my personal emotions or my attachment to the Matrix trilogy, which is essentially non-existent. I hate this movie purely from a craft standpoint. It is so badly made, so poorly executed, so poorly thought out. On there's innumerable failures on every conceivable step along the every of the multitude of steps that it takes to get a large budget uh, film re- made and released these days. That it should be studied in the same way that the island of Doctor Moreau is studied. <laughs> so, I, I wait, wait, to... hold on. When you say study the dial, the doc, the Isle of Doctor Moreau, you're talking about studying the Val Kilmer film, right? Not the actual yep. book. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Oh, the book itself make... is the book itself is fine. If, if any of you haven't read the H.G. Wells novel, it's quite good. 
So I'm going to go to Alexis in just a second with her um, history with the, oh, with the product. Also, I have to apologize in advance. For some reason, my nose has been running all day like well, go, a... Go catch it. I was gonna say like a... what? No Pinkie Pie drums. I, I was look. So I was gonna. I was gonna, gonna say be a like long a... night, people. I don't want to be messing with my soundboard all night. I was gonna say like a Kenyan in the Olympics, but man, Mark <laughs> just went with the worst pun imaginable. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, well, whether well, it's I... allergies or you caught a cold, hope you feel better soon, man. I'm not sick. I I don't usually get allergy attacks either, but for some reason today, just so you might occasionally see me lean to the side. I'll try to spare you the ignominious sight of me okay. blowing my nose i'm gonna go they to can put up with me f playing with my dogs on camera they'll put up with you blowing your nose in just yeah, a dogs second are, but dogs to talk about the freaking movies <laughs> um but i i i, I want to connect a, a previous podcast that we put up um so a couple of years ago robert and i did the original trilogy on long road to ruin and my first question to him as i ask everybody and i'm about to ask alexis is you know, hey, what made you want to talk about this tonight? And Robert being Robert goes, well, I like to talk about movies. I don't particularly like these or something along those lines. It was like, oh, you, well. <laughs> you need uh, hang on. You needed someone to talk about the Matrix. Right. I was one of the few options and I was willing to take the more affirmative yeah. viewpoint on those films as an extra, mostly because I think some of them, especially the third, mm -hmm. have a bunch of very, very unfair criticism lobbed its way. Yeah. And then listening back to it. I now, more more than I did at the time, understand your point about three, and I don't want to rehash it again. Go back and listen to it. It's up on YouTube. It's in whatever audio format you find it on podcast catchers. I'm not going to relitigate that. Um, just just know after having heard it back, I'm like, oh, that's what he was saying at the time regarding Neo and the machines and whatnot. But um, it did make me think about, you saw it when it aired on HBO Max on the 22nd, and you came away with a pretty, at least from what I could tell, again, through chat, a very visceral reaction to it, which I thought was odd because you don't have an emotional attachment to the trilogy. So I'm just like in 50 words or less, just kind of fill in that gap for me. How did we go from, I don't really care about this. I just like talking movies to something that seemingly offended you to the core. Again, it's just how bad it is. Like mm -hmm. this, is, this is not me. I'm there's an element of contemporary uh, of like through line in contemporary filmmaking slash franchise building that is used here that annoys me to no end. Mm -hmm. uh, no small part because I started seeing it everywhere. Now, it, much like The Matrix, you cannot unsee it once you see it. And so that annoys me on a different level, like on an actual meta level, because it was so unnecessary. This movie, this movie bothers me just because it's that bad. Mm. Like, I, I watched this thing and... I, I'm i not mad that they did something to a sacred cow. The Matrix isn't a sacred cow to me. I know to some people mm -hmm. it is, and you know, Godspeed and party on, no judgment. I don't care about The Matrix as a property. I care about good film, and for God's sake, this is shit. Okay. I just wanted to we get passed, that clear. We, we passed the five-minute mark. We're a little bit safer <laughs> for, the YouTube, for YouTube purposes. You get past the first five minutes, you're a bit safer. Um, all right. I just I, I needed to hear you kind of say that out loud because I was really struggling with like, I don't care that you hate the movie, you hate the movie all you want. Um, 
you know, that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to tell you what we think and how we feel about it. And so this isn't a matter of I heard you like react this way and be like, you know, and I was clutching my pearls going, oh, no, he hates it. But but for why? Not in this case, at least. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Those are perfectly valid opinions. It, they, they're just like, I haven't seen you get this worked up in a while. And I was like, what? And normally it, it's sentimental attachment that drives people to that's raw true. emotional outbursts. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's no way he has a sentimental, a sentimental attachment to it. And he certainly didn't build it up since 2015 or whenever the hell we talked about it. So I'm like, True. what happened here? Well, that explains it. What about you, Alexis? Any attachment to the series? What did you think of it when you first saw it? The Matrix was a huge part of uh, my teenage years. Mm -hmm. uh, when the first one came out, it was kind of like the de facto. Everyone's talking about it movie. Everyone was parodying it. Everyone was quoting it. I remember a guy who ran for student council president, and his campaign slogan was simply, there is no spoon. It had <laughs> nothing to do with the campaign or what he was going to do as president. He was just you know just launching off of that quote i'm gonna need you to give me his name when this is over because i want to friend him on facebook <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even my, friends with him on facebook that's my kind of guy oh my god no when, um, mark when you run for city councilman i assume that's going to be your slogan it'll be on, on lawn signs all over the <laughs> there is no spoon all over the district mark radlich there is no spoon no it's gonna be yeah. swallow my red pill no see everyone was all free your mind and mm -hmm. oh my god and there was also the connection with the whole trench coach shoot -em up thing because this mm -hmm. was around the time of columbine sure, yep. which i was in high school you know uh robert you and i are both in high school so i think we can both identify with the scrutiny that came after this movie without shooting in colorado and how closely it got examined what also intrigued me about this movie was kind of a bit of the behind the scenes with it that uh, Lana Wachowski, uh, who who directed this, uh, said that she was inspired to go back to the Matrix uh, story arc uh, because she uh, she and her sister, but they lost their parents uh, in yeah. the last year within five weeks of each other. When we get into um, the craft review, that's something I want to talk about. So um... yeah, and I thought it was very interesting that Lana was very. I wanted to go back to where I felt safe and mm -hmm. and just felt like real like we could really make a difference uh her sister lily i believe is the name of the other wachowski no idea. um actually did this big thing where she said she wasn't going to be involved with it because she said she wanted to move past it uh, to deal with her grief she was talking mm -hmm. about how she said if i go back to the matrix then i am going back to what i was like before i transitioned before we had kind of found ourselves and our style and what we wanted to do with our lives and it's very interesting to compare these two women uh and they're trans they're trans women but you know getting that make sure we're accurate on that um how they are both they both wanted to deal with the grief of their parents like this and i i just found it very interesting the idea of one saying let's go back to our roots and that because that's where we're strongest and the other one is saying no because then we're going backwards we have to go forward I can absolutely, and, and I want to come back to this, so I don't want to spend too long on it right this second, but um, I can see where Lily is coming from. I, you know, the idea of, um, especially, and, and again, I don't want to do too much on this, but in terms of transitioning, you know, being a trans person and feeling like, you know, forever I was in the wrong skin, felt feeling like I'm in the wrong body, and I've now made that transition and I'm moving on with my life and to have to go back to, pre, you know, a pre-trans moment in my life, even to celebrate in recreate something like the matrix i can see where where lily is coming from mm -hmm. um and i and i would imagine there's a lot of people who feel that way we're going to talk about lana's perspective because it 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 is 
all over this movie from what she has said in interviews. So we'll get there. Um, and there is definitely something to be said if you look at this movie from through the viewpoint of somebody who is dealing with their grief in this way. Yeah. It, it really does build the perspective. For the record, I love how you, you've got this little bit of a shine going on from your green screen so we can actually see the code through you. It's like that scene in the movie where Trinity suddenly <laughs> fades into the code. <laughs> yeah, I'm still playing with the, with the settings on the green screen thing. All right, um, let's get into the movie here. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, Thomas Anderson is, is a successful video game developer, creator of the Matrix video game series based on the fent memories of Neo. At a local coffee shop, Anderson continues to cross paths with Tiffany, a married with children woman with no recollection of her past on which Anderson based Trinity, a character in his game. Anderson struggles at times to separate perceived reality from dreams. His therapist, who's played by Neil Patrick Harris, prescribes him blue pills to suppress the occurrences which he stops taking. Anderson operates a simulation called Emodal, a programming sandbox created to develop game characters. A girl named Bugs, as in Bugs Bunny, as she tells us, learns that the Modal is running old, cold in a loop, depicting when Trinity first found Neo within the Matrix. Bugs discovers a program embodying Morpheus and helps him and, and helps free him before Anderson's business partner Smith can erase the Modal. After discovering his location, Bugs and Morpheus extract Anderson from the Matrix and learn that Smith is actually Agent Smith, that Agent Smith. Neo because, because Hugo Weaving said, you know what, I'd rather do theater. <laughs> God Neo... bless that man for having integrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good choice. Uh, Neo awakens in a pod and notices Trinity can find another one nearby as machines sent by Bugs retrieve and transport him to Bugs' ship. Uh, the Numosine? Is that right, Rob? Sure. Numosine? Okay, good. And into the human bastion. Io. There he meets Niobe, uh, who is Jada Pinkett Smith in like old people makeup. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Oof. oof is right. Very who, ex oof. who explains that 60 years have passed in the real world since the machine war and that the human survivors have allied with machines that defected to join human society. Though Neo wants to rescue Trinity, Niobe opposes and says, What are you, stupid? Orders Neo to stay out of the Matrix. But because the movie has to happen, they say no. Uh, Bugs and her crewmates disobey the order and help Neo free Trinity. After entering the Matrix, they are abruptly confronted by Smith and other exile programs who want the Matrix restored to its former form. A fight ensues and Neo battles Smith, ultimately winning as he gradually regains his abilities. At which point we see the Merovingian devolve <laughs> into the, the most meta Twitter conversation I've ever seen. That was such a weird scene. <laughs> I still don't get it. And sequels, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's Twitter in a nutshell. Um, hey, you know, if, if we pretend that we're making meta commentary, it covers up our crappy writing, right? Right? <laughs> that hey, explains the whole damn Warner Brothers comments from the oh, first 20 minutes. I, we will get there. The, they leave and locate Trinity, uh, Tiffany, but before Neo can talk to her, his therapist appears and immobilizes Neo by manipulating time and calling out in a kind of fourth wall breaking Deadpool moment. I'm going to control you. <laughs> By the, with the thing that you use as your power, or whatever the hell he says, he's like, it's bullet time! It's the worst line of dialogue <laughs> in this entire stupid movie, which is full of the I, worst dialogue I have, screen all I year. have to look at you when I say this. I know I use the words throw my pants a lot. You do. <laughs> it's lost all meaning. And it's a, it's a metaphor for my disgust with something. But when I tell you I viscerally started to remove my pants when he said... I'm going to control you with bullet time. And I had to stop myself from standing up and hurling it at the IMAX screen. 
Dude, I, I assume you were in an empty theater because nobody saw this and so no one would have cared. <laughs> yeah, Side note, who saw this on HBO Max and who saw it in the theaters? Max, I'm paying for that crap. I went to an IMAX showing. HBO Max. Refund? <laughs> no. But yeah, I, I look, if there's you anything that made me like as angry as you are, as I'm perceiving you to be about this movie, it's that line in particular was so bad. Anyway, he reveals his identity as the analyst. A program, by the way, nobody calls their therapist an analyst. Nobody. A program designed to study the human psyche. But he foreshadowing. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> eh? He explains that after Neo and Trinity died, he was able to resurrect them to study them. In doing so, he found that suppressing their memories but keeping them close produced an efficient power producing matrix resistant to the anomalies that caused the previous iterations to fail. Neo's liberation has destabilized the system and threatened a reboot of the matrix. According to the analyst who has bought time from his superiors, he convinced them that Neo would voluntarily return to his pod to avoid putting Trinity's life in danger, or so he thinks. Neo and Bugs forcibly exit the Matrix when, other, when another ship sent by Niobe brings the uh, ship back to Io. Niobe uh, takes Neo to Sadi, an exile program he previously met, whose parents were killed by the machines. Seeking revenge, Sadi helps devise a plan to free Trinity back in the Matrix. Neo's, Neo offers a deal to the analyst that if he fails to convince Trinity to remember the past, and voluntarily leave the Matrix, he would agree to return to his pod. The analyst accepts, because of course he does. This, As, movie, this movie pretty much is just plot point, technobabble, 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 technobabble. If you have to look up Wikipedia to understand what's going on in a movie, you have failed as a director. I'm sorry, Lana. As on Neo, every level. As Neo tries to convince... We're so close. As Neo tries to convince Tiffany she's part Welcome of Welcome to my pain. <laughs> 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 she's part of the matrix her family appears enticing her to stay she initially gives in but eventually rejects them recalling her true identity as trinity as the analyst attempts to kill her smith intercedes seeking revenge for his own imprisonment which gives neo trinity and the others time to escape being the last waiting to be extracted neo and trinity become cornered atop a skyscraper holding hands they yeet themselves off the building. Neo is and you able can hear you can hear the dulcet tones of Celine Dion in the background. <laughs> um, my heart will go on. Neo is able to harness his ability. Uh, Neo is not able to harness his ability to fly, but instead Trinity gains the ability and flies them to safely. Also, being showing the audience that she can use the force. Um, Wokeness. <laughs> with Trinity, me, I'm sorry, that was the only reason, right? That Trinity was now able to fly. This was serious case of wokeness. Uh, you know what? There, there's a conversation to be had there. Let Let's not. There's no easy answer for that. That's a conversation. There's a have. very easy answer for that. There's a, there's you, there's what you think the answer is. I would like to have a conversation if we okay. if we could have a nice conversation in these hollowed halls of this. You know, uh, <laughs> as we can drink brandy and have a nice conversation. Uh, with Trinity's newfound control over the Matrix, both return... Salon, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, with Trinity's newfound control over the Matrix, both return to meet the analyst, who now assumes a submissive posture. Arrgh. They sarcastically thank him for a fresh start, which they intend to use to remake the Matrix as they see fit. And they go flying off together because you see, audience, it, Neo is not the one. They are the one. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Neo and Trinity, they are the one. They can only be together in this and not separate. Don't you understand? All right, Robert, it's your turn. Please share your thoughts on this movie. I can't say a single positive thing about any second of film related to this movie. Not a single 
single positive thing. Not even any of the performances? Nope. Honestly, I like Jonathan Groff as the bad guy. You are dying on that hill alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's no Hugo Weaving. I mean, he's not just not Hugo Weaving. Uh, First of all, if you're going to try it, you can't recast Agent Smith. If you if you can't get Hugo Weaving back, write a different character. They're agents. They're interchangeable. Nobody cares. If this is Agent Scott instead of Agent Smith, no one cares. And no one will even ask questions about it because, like, the fate of Agent Smith was the most definite thing about the original trilogy when he was forcibly deleted. Like, that's... No one would care. But instead, you recast the role as this used tissue of a performance, utterly devoid of menace, utterly devoid of gravitas, utterly devoid of charisma, screen presence, physicality, anything... Uh, the, that guy brought nothing. The role is terribly written. This is supposed to be Agent... If this is supposed to be Agent Smith, why does this program behave nothing like the original program that this is ostensibly... That this is... It's supposed to be the same character. So why does he do nothing in character with every other iteration? Because you're a terrible writer who just wanted to grab bag on nostalgia, which is the watchword for this entire godforsaken excuse to flush hundreds of millions of dollars down the toilet here's the bit here's one of the bigger problems with this movie i'm gonna go through this movie in its three acts and you're gonna see if you if you know what's if you've seen the original trilogy what's going on act one keanu reeves is uncertain about the nature of his reality he is rescued by a bald black man engages in a fight with him in a a much worse fight in this case. I'm not even going to fault Keanu, the man's 50. And despite being in better physical shape than most and capable of still handling himself in an action format, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to bag on the guy for deciding I don't want to go through all the physical stuff required that I did when I was in my 20s and it still tore me to pieces physically then. He's making John Wick 4, you know. I am aware, but jo- he's able to get by on John Wick in large part through gunplay as much as anything else. I'm talking about purely the Kung Fu stuff. And the shooting schedule for John Wick 4 probably impacted the decision in this one to have him do nothing but force push his way through half the movie. That did get old. Really old. So he is the same. Say when he finally uses the force to push the uh, bazooka uh, or grenade launcher, whatever the, I don't know, weapons, whatever just to launch into the other helicopters, like finally, at least something different. Just a bit. So he is found, his na- his reality is questioned, he takes a red pill, he escapes from a, a final fight sequence, and again, escapes into reality. Act two, he goes to the last bastion of human settlement. He discovers that he has to return to the Matrix to stop a nefarious sequence of events from happening. Plot... Uh, part two of our movie ends with him having a confrontation with the sentient program that oversees the administration of the Matrix. Act three, we take a suicide run into the city of the machines and our final heroic last stand. Now, if you watch the original trilogy, movie one is Keanu Reeves having questioning the nature of reality, being extracted by a bald black man, having a kung fu fight with him, and (laughs) moving on to begin fighting the machines as uh, they gain better understanding of the world. The Matrix two, 
We fight the Merovingian and a bunch of his goons after going to the last bastion of human civilization, and the movie ends on a bit of a cliffhanger after he's had a conversation with the sentient program responsible for the administration of the Matrix. The third Matrix movie sees a suicide run from Neo and Trinity into the city of the machines, where he stages his grand final confrontation, emerges victorious at the cost of his own life. This piece of crap hackneyed slapdash film just took those three films and shoved them together into a 90 minute viewing experience oh this wasn't 90 minutes whatever it was I hang on a second it is long 148 minutes yeah okay a little over two hours what it doesn't matter the point is you took <laughs> this is like trying to tell the star wars trilogy the star wars trilogy over the course of the force awakens Although at least J.J. Abrams, that insufferable hack, had the common sense to try and only copy one movie in his <laughs> remake, rather than shove three in there. No characters are allowed to stand out or develop. No motivations are allowed to be established. No action sequence. You didn't even shoot the action sequences properly. There's nothing in this thing that's memorable from an action set piece standpoint. If you're going to do one thing right in these stupid movies, and let's be clear, some of the Matrix movies are very stupid in many respects... They at least give you a memorable action sequence. Nothing in this movie is even remotely comparable to the freeway chase scene from the second Matrix to say, I would take that stupid CGI Dragon Ball Z style fight between Smith and Neo at the end of three over everything this movie offers. From okay. an, uh, Can I offer a minor point standpoint. of order? I think trying to compare anything in the past decade to the to the freeway scene is unfair you want to say there's nothing memorable about this i 100 percent agree with you i would have said that myself but you're when you're like nothing compares to the freeway scene but nothing compares to the freeway scene it's one of the best shot chase scenes in the the history of modern cinema yes absolutely God, we have standards <laughs> well my point being if you're trying to illustrate the point that th that this was you know, the Matrix, which sort of re rests on a pedestal of well-choreographed fight scenes and gunplay, and this one offers nothing to that effect, pick something else from the movies. Not the not not one of the best things that oh, that's better than almost anything else captured on film. Okay, how none about the, if you can't the... compare the freeway scene, I would say that the uh, in the second movie, the fight between Neo and the army of Smiths, yeah. while sure. the CGI does get a little old after a while, it's still a really interesting, well-done fight scene, not to mention right. pretty damn funny. There's it, nothing, just there's nothing in this movie up. that approaches the, um, there's nothing that, that approaches the styling and aesthetic of any of the fight scenes of any of the three movies. There's and nothing I, in this movie that approaches the iconography of yes. the first three movies. Correct. There's nothing in this movie that approaches anything of the first three movies other than its blatant plagiarism. All right. Moving on. Oh, sorry. And uh, the la so the, uh, that's a big problem is the utter lack of anything memorable. You rush through too much material. The dialogue is awful. Your villains are utterly devoid of menace. Neil Patrick Harris as the slimy therapist works. That's something that he is somewhat suited to do. As soon as he has to start menacing Neo in the midst of activating the world, which is a reference no one's going to, I don't think any of you are going to get, but it all falls apart because he's comical. There's no gravitas to him. There's no menace. There's no threat. There's no substance. He's just there reciting stupid dialogue. Speaking of stupid dialogue, 
Why bother bringing him back? Why bother bringing either of them back to life? If you have discovered the ability to re to bring people back to life, you don't have to continue the matrix as such because you've already solved in perpetuity your energy crisis through bringing the dead back to life. You idiots! <laughs> You're supposed to be machines. <laughs> The entire machine civil war that ostensibly the destruction of the Matrix at the end of the third movie brought about is a much better idea than anything this movie seeks to put forth, even though that itself is stupid because machines would simply and easily shut down different segments at different times to maximize everything they're doing. They're beings of pure logic, but we can't have beings of pure logic here because that would undermine the stupid plot points you're trying to ham fist into your stupid narrative. The callbacks are nothing but they're bad fan service, not even good fan service. I mean, forgot, I didn't like No Way Home as a general rule, but at least the fan service in there made sense. Here it's just like, hey, sure, this sentient program that was a child when Neo interacted with it in the third film is back. Because you remember that, don't you? Well, maybe. You or maybe not. You seriously didn't like No Way Home? As a, as a matter of personal enjoyment, it was eh. And you can hear all about it in the review we did meow weeks ago. Continue, yeah. Robert. Well, I was I didn't get to be in that because it was overpopulated already. No, uh, no, it didn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, I have a few Minecraft issues with it, but I like I'm not yelling about it. It just you know other people are like, yay, this is the beta, this is the best thing ever. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you people have terrible standards. Well, no, no that where 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 I went off a cliff was, you know, the, this is my God, it's the rebirth of film. I feel young again, like when the world was young. Please stop. <laughs> Please. I just I just sat back and said, finally, Redeemer from Black Widow and the Eternals. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a perfectly lovely movie. Go on, Robert. You know, at least the original Matrix trilogy made a good faith effort to make sense. You may not have understood it. I may not have understood it at times, uh, but the entire discussion that Neo has with the architect at the end of the second movie makes sense. You just a little bit have to be kind of a computer science guy to get on, to understand exactly what's being said there. In, in defense of people... That's a, a very wordy monologue, and it goes really fast. The guy doing it, I think, it gives a pretty brilliant performance. But boy, do you have to be paying attention in a in a movie where most people didn't want to have to pay attention; they just wanted to watch the car fight, the, the car chases. Sure, but at the same time, your expectations are your own. Sure, and if you wind up being pissed off at a film for doing what it always was doing, The Matrix was never mindless action. Right, it has action that you know is a little bit on the overlong side at times, but mm -hmm. the film, it, the movies, the stories have never been mindless. Right. But the, the point is that all makes sense. Like why does the one exist at all? Well, because you can't properly balance this equation. So every now and then it has to be recycled. That's, that's computer logic because these are machines. I'm going to stress that again. They're machines, not people. And here, what we get is, well, keeping you two together, but just a little bit apart is the is the key to keeping a rebooted version of the Matrix going. Why exactly? What was your plan absent discovering this random bit of phenomena? Why do they have to be housed next to each other when all you need is digital proximity? Why do you actually need Trinity and not just a rough facsimile if you've recreated Neo? 
What in the world does proximity of two people have to do with powering a computer program? You, you do know that it was a metaphor, right? I know you do. You're not stupid. Of course I know. Look, this was just about the director wanting to go, isn't the isn't it just true that everyone who likes to keep us in in check all the powerful people who like to keep all the little people in check as you get a hundred as you get a hundred and ninety million dollar check to work through your therapy issues that you just flushed away, by the way, you hack. I just do you not make in general, this is a very general question for you. Do you not make certain allowances for a tad bit of ill logic uh, to service a metaphor? Yes, when it makes, when it is one consistent throughout the project and two mm -hmm. delivered in a way by from a character that makes sense. Okay, this is a computer program. It doesn't understand metaphor. <laughs> okay, I mean, you want it? Look, the, the writer wanted to shoehorn this thing in, and mm -hmm. God help us all, here it is. Yeah, th there's th no look, reason for it to there, exist other than there, that. There's a. I'm going to let you continue, but there's a lot of of Lena Wachowski trying to work through some very personal issues and logic, internal consistency be damned. That it now that is bad writing. I'm just which is, let's, which let's is my call point. it what it is. <laughs> which which yeah. is my point. Right. I mean for God's sake, there's a line in the bar near the end before our final action set piece. I almost used air quotes there because it's so bad. Where Neil Patrick Harris says, boy, women were early easier to control in the 90s. You didn't exist back then. <laughs> you stupid, stupid. There's no reason for that line of dialogue to exist at all. Other than the author wanted to say, well, evil white man in position of power. Sure, women were easier. He must think women were easier to control. You know, one of the things that I've come to appreciate more about the original Matrix trilogy over time, I don't know which of them wrote for the machines, but God bless them, they wrote characters that sounded like machines. The, they were inhuman. It's one of the interesting things about Agent Smith. As his virus spirals out of control, he becomes more emotional. He becomes unstable. He becomes more human, paralleling Neo the human becoming more and more and more machine-like as as they go through that story. And it's a nice little bit of writing. If I might quote George Lucas, it's like poetry. It kind of rhymes. But that was every other instance of them interacting with machines feels like them interacting with machines. They interact with the Merovingian. He does not feel like a human. He very much feels like what he's supposed to feel like. A Neil pompous jerk who loves the sound of his own voice. Yes. I love the Merovingian. It's I know you my do. My favorite character in the entire trilogy. That's because you that's because he's the only one whose personal philosophy you really understood or agreed with. And Monica Bellucci. Well, that's for an entirely different reason. You dirty <laughs> I still watch that scene and I go, that dress just makes my skin crawl. It looks so uncomfortable. How did I don't want to know how much baby powder you have to put on to put I on that thing. I agree with you, Alexis. She should have taken it off in that scene. <laughs> oh, go watch Dracula. You see her tits I, in that one. Do you really? Mark, which Dracula yeah. are we talking about? The Gary Oldman one. She's one of Dracula's brides. Oh, it's been so long since I've watched that one. All right. Five more minutes, Robert, and then and then we, we do have to move this on. Yeah, yeah. Excise your demons. And I'm watching so, the clock. Yeah, yeah. The the point there is Neil Patrick Harris in this never feels like a machine. 
He never mm-hmm. feels like a computer program. Yeah, it feels like Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Yes. <laughs> I imagine that was the only direction he was given. <laughs> that's probably how we got the part. And that's a major failure of character writing. He is. I've already yelled about all of our antagonists being utterly devoid of screen presence, charisma, menace, physical threat, existential threat, able to give coherent line readings half the time. <laughs> the- the poor idiot they have playing Smith. Like you can see in the back of his mind on occasion, I used to be an actor. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. I he shows up to so the 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 big like power move here is and you mentioned it uh the analyst being able to freeze everything else in time. Mm-hmm. And yes, I assume that's a JoJo's reference. And then at the finale, Smith shows up and ignores this power <laughs> because plot. There's no explanation given. There's no... There's nothing. It's just, well, we've written ourselves into a corner. Our heroes can't get out of this. So... Deus Ex Metrosexual shows up. Like It's, it, it's terrible writing. It's just terrible writing. The uh, the inclusion of your pseudo-Morpheus character and then your subsequent forgetting of him through large portions of this film, I don't know why he exists other than a stupid callback. Uh, there's no reason for it. The in, it it's, again, it's just bad. It's badly thought out. It's badly executed. It's poor writing. Lastly... If you're going to do anything right in these in these movies, you have to do the action sequences properly. That's one of the... Look, I can talk about the philosophy of the Matrix films. No one cares. Very few people care. <laughs> you don't sell say, these... This show's going to be long enough as it is. I am begging you. I am not, not I'm not doing that, that here. Worms. Yeah, look, Mark and I talked about that on the Long Road to Ruin episode. If you're curious, go give it a listen. Because there is some interesting philosophy stuff that goes on in here. Also, if you can dig up the old YouTube channel for Confused Matthew, he does a real deep dive into the philosophical elements that influence the Matrix. Yeah, it's not that they're not there and that they're not even interesting necessarily to those of us who don't mind looking for that. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to sell this to the general audiences, you have to do at least three memorable action set pieces. That's, That's a requirement for the Matrix films. The first Matrix has Trinity's escape, Morpheus and Neo fighting, sort of, and then, actually not even really Morpheus and Neo. People remember that, but I don't know why. Uh, you have, like, their big gun battle to rescue Morpheus, and then, I mean, the entire, like, third act of that film is nothing but a big, is one big action set piece. <laughs> and God bless it. a lot of fun. Again, and God bless it, it made it work. I think the first one is the rooftop fight scene where Neo is is finally able to move in time. Um, I think there's a hallway bit, and then yeah, there's there's Trinity's first escape in the first act of the movie. I think that's what Uh, you're talking about. You you get Trinity's escape, you get the assault on the government building, culminating with the bullet time sequence, and you get Mm -hmm. Smith and Neo in the train station. Yeah. Technically, you also have the uh, I know Kung Fu training sequence. Yeah. You, you can't even though that even though it's a training sequence, I would still count that as a major action sequence. In the second one, you have the freeway chase, which is like amazing. And you have what's the other one that people kind of remember from that one? The 
multiple smiths and neo you get the multiple smiths you get the there's some beautiful uh cinematography when he fights all of the different um exiles at the merovingians palace uh so you get a few things like that three you have the entire defense of zion which is a wonderful war sequence Mm -hmm. i still remember being in the audience and the scene where this uh the the drones come in and basically form like a murmuration Mm -hmm. as it were I remember hearing everyone in the audience going, whoa, just they were so impressed with how cool that looked. Yeah, you've got something. There's nothing here even remotely like that. The action is not shot well. And again, I'll give Keanu a little bit of slack because one, he's older, and two, his shooting schedule for this had to be fairly limited given that he's somehow, I I say somehow not to demean his abilities, but his career renaissance is something of a remarkable occurrence. Ten years ago, would you have imagined he would son the guy who was best known as either Neo from a you know, a ten year old franchise at that point or Bill and Ted? <laughs> and what he's done with him his career lately is again, it's remarkable. And I mean that's a compliment. Oh, I mentioned at that Christmas, I said how I actually was looking forward to seeing this movie on solely on the grounds of I need more Keanu Reeves in my life. And I remember my mother, my aunt, and one of my uncles just turning and looking at me going, you need what? They could not believe I was openly saying I want more Keanu Reeves. It's like, because again, they were either thinking it was Neo or Bill from or, or Ted from Bill and Ted. They just could not fathom why anyone would want to see more of this actor. Yeah, so again, his turnaround there is is rather remarkable. We do, but we don't get any really good fight scenes between him and any of the Smiths, either Smith or any of the other. The entire sequence where they fight all of the exiles is is cut to hell. It's borderline unfollowable action. He just does a lot of force pushing, and again, if he just didn't want to physically or the schedule didn't allow for anything more than that, I, I understand the limitations. I'm just going to call it depressing and disappointing because it is. A lot of Our, the fights co- choreography was also copied nearly verbatim from previous movies. You get the scene where uh, Smith punches through the pillar. Mm-hmm. It had a shot almost identical to the subway scene where Smith punches through a pillar. I'm convinced that they didn't actually have enough story for this full movie. So they just spliced in old footage to extend the runtime. Like, it's almost as lazy as when um, Uva Boll literally put fit- footage from a video game into one of his video game adaptation films. All right, it's, Alex- it's pathetic in so so many ways. Alexis, Our, you got you got to wrap, dude. I know. Last thing, because it's the last bit of this movie. The chase sequence at the end with all the zombies coming at them, and let's call them what they are, they're zombies. Andre said the same thing. He basically, he looked up at the screen and said, so when did we suddenly get into a zombie movie? <laughs> uh, that entire concept is utterly unutilized in any sort of real way, and the long-term repercussions of being able to activate it that way don't make any degree of sense within the internal logic of the world. Uh, it, it's shot badly. It's cut badly. Uh nothing has any sense of space or place so when they when the zombies stop chasing them and oh they've herded them into a kill box i almost guarantee that line was up was like 80 yard in because the audience <laughs> wasn't following what was going on because you've done a terrible job of establishing geography your finale sequence is really like your coda here at the end is really really stupid 
turning Trinity into a carbon copy of Neo is a wild disservice to that character. Trinity was plenty much a badass, interesting character in her own right in the original trilogy. Why you felt compelled to graft abilities from the one onto her is, again, it's an insult to that character and who she was. You didn't make her better in this, you diminished her. And shame on you for that. It's a bad bit of writing. And it goes to the last thing I want to touch on. And it's a through line through a lot of, uh, especially Marvel's doing this at the moment, and it really started to aggravate me the more I've realized it. The need to try and establish your brand new, fresh IP at the expense of everything that came before it. So Falcon Falcon and the Winter Soldier does this, and it annoys me. Uh, you know, Steve Rogers was never that great a hero. How dare he give the mantle of Captain America to a black man without considering what that would mean to said black man. How dare Tony Stark not set the Avengers up for life and make Anthony Mackie go begging to a bank to try and save the family farm. Loki used to be a sadistic, intelligent, capable fighter. Now he's the butt of every joke in his own series because we want the people to care about Sylvie. To say nothing of making Black Widow look incompetent, stupid, and ineffectual so that your love will transfer to Yelena Belova. Please, 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 please like our new fresh action figure, buy all the associated merchandise. She'll never let you down until we have to recycle her for the next one when it'll turn out she molested puppies or something equally stupid. <laughs> so here, we must demean, diminish, and try to retcon everything that you might have enjoyed about the original trilogy in favor of, look at the second chance we're getting. It isn't everything just all new, bright and shiny now. And, and Carrie Ann Moss, and Trinity doesn't have to play second banana to a cishet white male character and isn't that just grand and she'll kick this and she'll kick our disgusting blonde-haired blue-eyed white male computer program in the face several times because wouldn't we all just like that better after he's expressed how much he hates women he's a machine you fucking hack hey robert you really need to retire the word hack you're overusing it i know I center know. square on the bingo card robert cursed <laughs> All right, that's supposed, the, that's supposed to be the free square, not the hardest one. I'm like <laughs> the free left. square is the dogs barking, and you know it. Alexis, yeah. your thoughts on the film, preferably the stuff Robert hasn't already covered. But I don't know what the, what's left. But <laughs> okay, a couple of things that do stand out about this. First mm -hmm. of all, I feel that there were some interesting ideas in this movie, but they weren't properly engineered into a way that would be really interesting. I mm -hmm. like the ideas that they explored, uh, like in IO, the idea of the uh, being able to bring in programs through a digital interface which shows that lana wachowski really loved black panther <laughs> oh my god you guys cannot tell me you didn't think the same damn thing when you saw them fly through the hologram the layout of the city and yet the like nanotech design of these characters mm -hmm. tell me i'm not the only one who thought that you are not wrong at all but and again i I, I, were... I imagine disney is suing them as we speak <laughs> But again, I thought those were some cool ideas. I thought there were some clever ideas, but it really felt like they were not laid out properly in this movie. A lot of the characters, again, Lana Wachowski, God bless her, has a terrible time establishing character without copious amounts of dialogue. We get a scene with, uh, what's her name? Lexi, uh, talking to Neo, and she talks about how she idolizes Trinity and wanted to be like her. And I'm like, 
this is barely at the last, like in the last half hour, we have seen very little of you. Majority of the shots have focused on the fact that you're wearing hot pants. So excuse me that I'm suddenly going, why should we suddenly give a damn about you and this? And the, the you have another crew member, uh, Berg. Because we have to, we have to, because Trinity hasn't been referenced in the last five minutes and she's basically poochy for this film. Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> you started in on that. I was like, well, it's been five minutes. We haven't talked about poochy yet. <laughs> Now, again, Lana Wachowski, through all of her films, has always had a terrible time laying out character that is not delivered through copious amounts of exposition, and it is really, really annoying. It becomes very hard to actually sit down and go, what are these characters like? What do they dislike? And what if we actually see them get into that they haven't said and explained to us? Even the bit with uh, Tiffany, Trinity's alter ego, as she's been given, and she's talking about her love of motorcycles and how that parlays into the character of Trinity. And side note, all of a sudden, all of these flashbacks and everything, they're supposed the, we get the scene in the theater when they're like, these are scenes from my game. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So now we're saying that what we identify as the previous Matrix movie is what they identify as a game? No, that is causing a serious rift and it is pulling us out of the uncanny valley and it's not going to work. But you don't understand. It can't be a movie because then Neo doesn't work with computers. No, I'm fine with it being a game, but you cannot just overlay the previous yeah. movie and say it's a game. If they were going to do this, they really should have animated some footage that looks like a computer game. But again, somebody was, I don't know if it was Lon or someone else who said we need to bank on the nostalgia by overlaying this kind of footage. It doesn't work. You can't have your cake and eat it too in this case. I'm also going to say this. One of the things I loved about the original Matrix movie was that despite the massive amount of techno babble, I felt that it was still a very easy film to understand because you were able to take a look at it through more of a philosophical standpoint than a technical standpoint. I know very little about computers myself. There's a reason I wear, I married a software engineer, so I never have to learn this kind of shit. I just go and ask him for help. And there were a lot of parts in the next two movies where it got a little heavy on the techno babble and it got a little harder to understand. Hell, I think we can all agree that scene with the architect in the second Matrix movie is one of the most painful things to sit through. I still love quoting the nostalgia critic when he talks about it and he goes, dude, is this going to be on the test? Because he points out how we have never let's, been let's, given. Let, let's amend that. Yes, many people struggled with it. Not everybody. Many people struggled with it. It's a, it's a, it's it's a little obtuse for most audiences. Thank it, you. It is definitely a bit much for the general movie-going populace. A hundred percent. I feel like this movie, unfortunately, fell back into that obtuse way of thinking. There's a lot of computer <laughs> jargon. The whole idea of the modal and such that I didn't get. Again, I had to look up several things online to understand oh, a lot of what me. was going on. The scene where they're basically talking about pulling Trinity out of the Matrix, but they need to pl plug bugs in briefly. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I don't know what the hell that was. Neither do they. <laughs> yeah, like I said, so many scenes I did not get. And I can't help but feel that a lot of this was Lana Wachowski essentially just getting a little too pretentious for her own pants and saying see this is smart i sound smart and basically it's like listening to the merovigian for two hours all right um so minus I'm, the charisma i'm gonna do kind of a good bad and ugly here because there were like 
literally like one thing a piece in those categories for me to talk about and then we're going to move this on i like the first about 30 minutes of this when this was sort of a meta maybe there's may hang on okay you and i disagree about this and it's one of these where maybe you're right maybe i'm right Lana's not here to tell us who's right i get where you're coming from when you said you like the first 30 minutes Mm -hmm. i I think there's at least a germ of an idea in the first 30 minutes about mm-hmm. the entire creative process as it relates to Hollywood in its in its current iteration. I think that exists there, and you know, if you're going to make someone question reality, that that's that's not hard to do. There, yeah, but, there are two things going on in that first 30 minutes, one, and both things I liked. One was sort of the meta satire, um, maybe self-aware, maybe not self-aware, depending on how cynical you are. Uh, of what this is and and it goes to something that happened in real life i'm only touching on this i don't want to generate a whole other side discussion about this that warner brothers was basically told told at least one of the wachowskis look we're making this matrix movie whether you're on board or not so you know either get on board and do it or you know or get out of the way and we'll get you know (laughs) and we'll we'll get um brett ratner or, or somebody and uh and I'm sure you know, brian or, singer would love to get his hands on it you know or you know the guy that the guy that directed <laughs> welcome to raccoon city um i'm sure he he would love <laughs> i just listened to that back today Ooh. anyway they were like get on board or we'll or, or get out of the way and she was like well i don't want to hand this you know this project that i love and that has really defined me in my career and about the only good thing that i've done um literally on record thing uh to, to somebody else and then you know god only knows what they'll do to it so i'm um, i'll find a way to make this work for me and then i'll get to the second thing about that in a second um and then having the and then having the kind of the balls to do like a family guy and address it in the movie where they have smith basically say like um we're you know hey we have we're, we're remaking the matrix either get on board or get out of the way and we'll do it without you and like huh Okay, I was laughing at that. I was having a good time, you know, with that sort of level of self-awareness or perceived self-awareness. I liked, I liked the menace of the whole thing. The second thing about that whole first 30 minutes is Robert and I often talk about how, like, disassociation, uh, schizophrenia, psycho- um, psychosis is generally not handled well in film. People don't oh, understand it. As much as we've got more opportunities for mental health assistance than we've ever had before, especially since the pandemic. Now you can just get on your computer and do it. It's still one of those things that people grossly misunderstand. Mental illness is not something people are comfortable with. They don't get it. Um, I work with people who still seem to think that therapy is magic. Um, So, so I, you know, whatever. Um, And I, and I actually did think that they handled, um, Neo's disassociation or perceived disassociation in the first 30 minutes of this pretty well. He, you know, unlike one of the other movies we, we watched recently, oh, we, I lock and key. I actually just listened to that back today as well. We were talking about the one character who who can't figure out what's going on in his own brain. I'm like, that's not what that looks like. It's what's really going not. on with Neo very much is where yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're almost like timid and, you know, afraid to talk to people because you really don't know what's happening around you. I thought Keanu Reeves did a good job portraying it. I thought the writing did a good job of characterizing it. Um, and when Neo, uh, when Neo wakes up in the pod, 
from that Again. point on, I think the movie sucks. I, I'm with Robert. There's nothing good about this movie. The movie for me ended when they woke me up out of the pod. Um, from that, I literally walked out of the theater. So this is the bad part. I walked out of the theater when he started fighting um, the, the poor bastard who got, uh, you know, Walmart level Mor Morpheus. Um, who's a great actor, and I wish I could. He was in Candyman, and yeah. he was terrific yeah. in he's, that. And he's in the Watchmen. He's fantastic. Yeah, we we were talking about this. Yeah, we loved him in that in Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen, poor yeah. man. Um, good. He's he's very really good, good actor. Yeah, he's an excellent actor. He yeah, he's an excellent actor, and he's he's going to be in Ambulance next year for how which is going to be the which is going to be the worst <laughs> thing ever. Just um, well, you're not having to review it. I got Ronnie to sit in on that one. Oh, um, how'd you get Ronnie to sit in on a Michael Bay film? Ronnie likes to talk to me about movies, especially when Robert's not around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's, much as I love Ronnie, and I do, uh, Ronnie likes movies. amenable back. No, not just movies. Ronnie <laughs> likes amenable back and forth. So, anyway, um, yes. So, yeah, he's an excellent actor. He's given nothing in this, and, and what he is given, he. I, I hate to say this about the guy because he, as a performer, is good. His performance in this movie sucks. He is trying. He's kind of like, and I know this didn't happen in this order, but just follow me on this. What's his face? Majors, who plays Kang in Loki. It's like he watched okay. that performance and was like, okay, but what if I'm more jazzy about it? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know if Lana just didn't direct him in those scenes or was just like, yeah, whatever you're doing is fine. You're a genius. But like him in the bathroom with Neo was terrible and took me out of the movie. And it, it, what if, it, it felt what like if you had an L sketch? What if you did the what if you attempted the speech patterns of Morpheus, <laughs> but you did it with the jazzy inconsistency of Kang the Conqueror? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was like, yeah, this is all you, bad. You give the audience a migraine is what you do. Um, you know, but, sometimes I feel like the only thing Lana took note of people's complaints about the previous movies was, oh, okay, you guys want color. All right, we'll add color to this. Because I'm sorry, that's the one thing I noticed was an improvement on since the previous movie. So it's like gray, green, gray, green, gray, yeah. green. At least flutter, this movie flutter, was flutter. a little pretty. Yeah, at least this movie was a little prettier to look at. Sure, he has a fancy suit in the bathroom scene. It's marvelous. Um, he was pimptacular. Who cares? Um, you know. Bugs is a nothing character, and I say that having PTSD from all the times Robert yelled, "This is a nothing film," and that's a nothing character at me. But she really is. She is. She really is. She, she is a stand-in for what Trinity was supposed to be without being Trinity, and it is boring. And I mean that in the craft sense, boring as can be. There's no life to this character. There's no characterization. She is just an accumulation of things needed to get the plot going. And then, as Critical Drinker pointed out promptly for discarded and forgotten about once we get the real stars of this picture involved which is not what happened to carrie ann moss in the other three movies by the way she was right there with neo the whole time look, um, look, trinity, so there's like a I, lack of balance in character presentation in this movie uh, well, i i say this about trinity in the original trilogy mm -hmm. she's not quite ripley or sarah connor but mm -hmm. she's like barely she's like half a rung below the great icons but she yeah. is absolutely a wonderful character mm -hmm. like anyone this is one of those things that i really uh, i disagree with when it comes to a lot of things uh but the notion that you know men won't see a movie with a badass female character or even a badass female lead it, it, it's utter crap 
And I was like, so here's the thing. We sure we do. We have. We do it all the time when 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 you're not gender swapped something that is i said this about ghostbusters no i said this about resident evil sorry um when i was talking to sean about resident evil i said don't take something that is precious to people slap another name on it or switch it around so that it's hard you know it's unrecognizable to the people who hold it valuable you're you're just inviting people to be pissed off at you yeah there's plenty of look I, and I was thinking about this with Scarlett Johansson because we just, David and I just reviewed Ghost in the Shell and a couple of other things. Oof. Like they try with Scarlett Johansson and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But it's not like she doesn't have up her, her, Jennifer Garner, and a handful of others have had plenty of freaking Angelina Jolie have had plenty of opportunities to be leading action women in roles. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I got news for people. Sometimes it works for men. And I don't know if you know this or not, but not every male action movie works or is financially I mean, viable it, but look, look there's a lot of bombs out there starring even time good old-fashioned action leads for god's sake will smith and tom cruise don't bat a thousand <laughs> no they do not so let's not get you know in the weeds on oh isn't it isn't it awful to be a woman there's no parts out there what was what was it the one red letter media thing i was watching where um oh it was the the idiot that runs sony uh, when she was talking about Ghostbusters, and she's like, you know, the whole thing is we just don't see women in movies anymore. She said that in 2016 in the lead up to Ghostbusters, by the way. It <laughs> so was anyway, dumb then it's dumber now. It certainly is, Ollie. A sentiment that has aged like milk. <laughs> um, I, I I don't need to rehash everything you guys said. There's not a memorable action scene in this, and like I said, I walked out when him and Morpheus started fighting. That's why I, I got. I got off on a tangent when he and Morpheus recreated the Kung Fu training scene. I was like, I'm done. And I walked out and I went to the bathroom and I came back and I caught half the explanation for why IO was what it was. Um, I actually liked the Jada Smith's uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character in this. I know she pissed off a lot of people um, and frustrated others, but I, I don't know. I, I think her explanation for could look, I've built this city much like Jefferson starship. Please don't wreck it with your own stupidity and your need to go rescue your girlfriend. My, and, you know, okay, hang on, because I didn't go into detail on that. Let me be mm -hmm. clear about what my oof related to that character was. Mm -hmm. One, the aging makeup. <laughs> Looks, someone threw pancake batter on her and said, "Good enough." Pancake like, batter in a single contact lens. Yes. And, and whatever you do, don't move the left side of your face, or the whole thing <laughs> falls apart. Right. <laughs> like that. That was her having to manually not move her face, rather than yeah. quality a quality makeup job. Yeah. I don't object to her character logic. I actually agree with you. I think that's fine. Like, I mm -hmm. busted my butt. Right. I created this haven. And if you go poking the bear that lives upstairs, you're going to unravel everything. Right. It'll come down and like that. I'm okay with that as a consistent motivation. I really am. My problem is, again, one, the makeup, two, the line delivery is bad. Mm -hmm. Three, you could not have come up with a lazier character trope than you did here. Yeah, the, this is the barking sergeant in the police station. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, I want to talk about this last thing. So my reaction to Robert when uh, when when it was over, when I saw tr when I saw Trinity fly and then do the bit where they go back and they say, we're going to paint rainbows in the sky. Ha ha. He he ho ho. And then they fly away together. Uh, to so, you know, we're down after. with the message. Yeah, I I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I, 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 I needed to sit down and catch my breath because I couldn't stop. People were like, what is so funny? And I'm like, ha! 
<laughs> didn't, you, didn't you see the movie? That's what's so funny. Okay, and I'm going to say this, and Robert made his head may spin around and spit pea soup, so bear with me. When I thought that Lana was trying to apologize for the previous Matrix movies in the sense of we focused on having this one male messiah kung fu Jesus lead when I had an opportunity to have made that a woman and didn't take it. I was given this franchise. I was given this opportunity to make this great big budget movie, and I could have made it a woman, and I didn't. I did what everybody has done for a thousand years of film. I made her the girlfriend instead of the lead, and now I want to have it. And now I'm getting a $200 million to correct the mistake I made in a time where I think there'll be an audience for it. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I went boo, <laughs> and not and not and not because I I I, th I think I compared it to George Lucas. Stop apologizing for stuff you did that everyone liked just fine. If you feel the need to go, if you feel the need to go back and correct something that that twenty years later you're having a hard time living with, just make something new. I mean, George Lucas tried; he made Red Tails. It failed. No one no one likes anything else George Lucas has ever done. Fine, you know, you you take a swing at the bat, Lana. You go make a new kind of Matrix movie, but don't call it the Matrix, and this time make it a female lead. Don't they tried. It was called Jupiter Ascending, and, and it, it was failed. garbage. <laughs> Boy, did it fail! It gave me and Jesse a good laugh, but it, it failed you, miserably. You could, but but here's the thing: there, there's a don't... there's a pretty big similarity between this movie and Jupiter Ascending. Mm -hmm. They only work as satire, intentional so, or unintentional. You have to watch these things, and all you can do is laugh. So when so I thought Jupiter Ascending is awesome if you've got copious amounts of alcohol. Copious amounts of coke. Um, <laughs> Take listen, your pick. If you when I when I thought when I was under the assumption she was apologizing for the Matrix with the Matrix Resurrections, I laughed at the movie and her for being dumb. Yep. Having read about this, and this is why I want I want to come back to about an hour ago when 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 you brought this up, Alexis, and and this we can sort of bat around just for a minute. Um, when she started, when I read in an interview that she was like, look, I didn't want to do this, but then I lost my parents. And then I saw this as an opportunity to work through some of my grief. I, uh, projected my parents' relationship onto Neo and Trinity. And I thought that by, um, lifting, and I want to be very specific about this. The perception everyone is making, and certainly Robert made, is that you were bringing Neo down so that you could elevate trinity and it goes like this only one can be at the top and one must be at the bottom they cannot be equals and i think what lana was trying to say with this movie was no 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 i'm trying to lift i'm trying to keep neo where he is but i want to lift trinity up so that they're equals that's what this movie is about this is about the relationship and she's projecting her parents onto them and she's saying these two people love each other they're they're their love is power and their power is strong. And that is what pushes this whole thing forward. And this was her way of working through her grief. Now, as a therapeutic exercise, I'm kind of sympathetic and with her. And I want to be very clear about that. I'm not judging any of what I just said that she did as a film critic. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, and I can't help this. God help me. I can't help but feel for her as a mental health professional. Here's the thing. That's something you do kind of privately or you do with your own money. 
Okay, if you want to do a Kickstarter because you want to uh, produce a film to work through your trauma, I'm with you. And I say, here's a dollar. I'll go do it and I will watch it. And I will not judge you too harshly, even if it's bad, because I understand you're doing a therapeutic exercise. And you will you're insist, a that I, you insist that I not be on the review. To <laughs> and I will talk podcast. about it with Roddy Adams um, of the Screaming Boy podcast. Uh, you, on, on the other hand, it is a dereliction. It is a dereliction of duty as a director to take a $200 million check and go, I'm going to work through my trauma with this and then submit this film back to you, Warner Brothers, and say, here's the thing that you entrusted me, this $200 million project, and I just used it to get over some shit. I, and I hope people like it. Who the fuck knows or cares? I didn't want to do this in the first place. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way, Lana. I'm and I'm, I'm not and I'm not gonna forgive you for I'm not you don't get a pass for any of the things that makes you you. You don't get a pass because I, I feel for you and, and the things that you're experiencing, but that doesn't mean you get to make a bad movie just so you could get over your own shit. It doesn't work that way. Boo, Lana, boo. Now, hang on. There had been a lot of directors and writers who talked about making certain movies that was a way for them to process things that they were going for. You, Most recently, I'm going to come. If you find a way to do that, by also but also doing your job and making sure that the art comes first, and your and your. Oh, so what I'm looking. If you for make here. hang on, if you make a good faith effort to fulfill your fiduciary responsibility, that's to make a, to give you a return on and. They gave her the GDP of Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave us this. If you're in the service of doing your professional job, but as an added bonus, you get to work through your stuff, I'm 100% with you and I'm okay with that. And even if like you, it was a good faith effort and you tried and it just didn't work, I'm still with you. I'll for, I can forgive that. This doesn't feel like she tried. And she's not here to defend herself, and I kind of feel bad about that because you know because I'm making a lot of assumptions, and I know and I understand that. But I'm but this is uh, the discussion we're having is in some in part our perceptions of what we saw, and what I saw was this person not giving a hoot about her professional duty to make a competent film. She just yeah. wanted to do what she wanted to do, which again. On a, on a on a self financed ten million dollar indie film, knock yourself out. On a two hundred million dollar you know international you know worldwide major motion picture, trying to revive um, an IP that Warner Brothers is desperately trying to build another <laughs> franchise around as their you, studio you flail, flounders desperately. And you know someone might hear this and be like, "Why are you sticking up for the company?" I look, I stick up for you have to. I stick up for do your job. Yeah, your job was to make a competent film that people would come to watch. You didn't it, do that here. Look, the argument here is not poor Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. right? No, no. Like, that's not what any of us, to anyone out there, might be. Thinking. Why are you sticking up for the company? Well, we're not saying Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers has Dune right now. Okay, we're not shedding any tears for them. Well, well, I just, just to be clear, no, I am a I, I, I am a slovenly corporatist, but I'm not yeah, doing. But know, that's but... not my argument here. Uh, uh, I think bit. you're a slovenly capitalist. I think it sounds no, better. No, 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 no. I'm absolutely a corporatist. No, no. Uh, no. Mark, Mark isn't just a capitalist, which you, everyone should be. Mm -hmm. You, you can argue, you can argue it's proper implementation, but as a foundation, capitalism is the appropriate economic system. Moving on from the proletariat. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
Mark actually likes big corporations as a general I rule. Like he, he actually does go the next step in that I particular have, logic. I have no religion but the almighty dollar, which I pray to. And he's got a Mickey Mouse tattoo on his ass. <laughs> I'll hail the mouse. Uh, look, the point here is not, again, poor Warner Brothers. That's not really the point. The point is you were hired to do a job. You were given an enormous check. They Warner Brothers could have financed th at least three other films with what they put into this. Right. And they at were least. expecting you to make a competent Matrix movie that people would enjoy. If you can do, look, if you have, and, and here's the other thing I'm going to say about this poor gal. If you have the talent to uh, work, work through your therapeutic stuff and make a good film, more power to you. Mm -hmm. She clearly doesn't. She doesn't have the talent to make a good film. She, This yep. woman, and, and Robert and I went through her, her um, filmography. She hasn't, it's a wasteland. She hasn't made a decent film of note since the first Matrix. Does anyone even know anyone who watched Sense Eight? Robert, you did. I, we talked about that. I watched part of season one. Okay. And Sense, for those of you who don't know, I'll, I'll give you a briefing. Sense Eight is in loose concept about a group of people who all begin experiencing what the others experience simultaneously. It also gave majority of the cast for this movie. Okay. Working backwards, yeah. Jupiter Ascending sucked. I've heard Cloud Atlas is good. I can't speak of it. Maybe. Look, hang on about Cloud Atlas just very briefly. Mm -hmm. Whether you can engage with the... I don't know why they chose to adapt that particular <laughs> uh, book. That was a daunting task to begin with. Whether you're able to engage with that or not, there's, ish, there's serious issues of film competence. And irrespective of film competence, that thing cratered. Okay. Only looking at things she's directed... Um, so again, Speed Jupiter, Racer. That's the next one. Speed Racer, which by all accounts sucked in Leox. She didn't direct the invasion or V for Vendetta, which are their own conversations. And then we're into the Matrix movies. So again, I say, I don't think this woman has the talent to man a major motion picture like she was assigned to here. I think I think on the on the WB side, they thought, well, you had a hit with the Matrix. I'm sure this will be fine, too. And I'm sure she was thinking, I had a hit with the Matrix. I'm sure this will be fine. And they were both wrong. <laughs> so that, that's really all I have to say about that. Um, to, to your point from like an hour and a half ago, Robert. Yeah, after having watched this on the, the day that I went to go see this, we had to have a plumber come out. And I almost stayed home because I needed to be here in case the plumber got here. And my wife was like, no, go see your movie. It'll be fine. If, if he comes while you're still out, I can deal with it. I, I think I can handle the plumber. I'm like, okie dokie. Uh, as it turns out, he didn't come until after I got home. But when it was over, I called my wife. And the first, first thing I said is, I love you. The second thing I said was, I should have just stayed home. This was a waste of time to watch on an IMAX screen, which is a biting commentary about the special effects and the uh, the action scenes in this movie not worth the extra space on the film on the screen to bother with an IMAX showing, which makes me sad. We did talk briefly a couple of weeks ago about whether or not we thought that this film was going to get a pull to theaters, and we discussed how when Dune was released, there was this active uh, <laughs> word of mouth campaign of people saying, "Go see it in theaters. Right. You want to see these kind of special right. effects on the big screen." Matrix did not get that kind of campaign. There was, oh, I did not see much of a pull for people to say, "Go see this in theaters." I've not seen people. Here's how you know how dead this was on arrival. 
the Twitter hashtag was not trending of its own accord. Like, people weren't talking about this. I don't know anyone that saw this other than, like, you guys. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who didn't see this that wasn't reviewing it necessarily. I don't know anyone that said much of a favorable thing about it. I Minor correction there. I know someone who said it was better than the third of the original Matrix movies, and I disagree, but I can at least see the argument. That's a low hurdle to jump. Which is exactly <laughs> what he said. <laughs> it's the lowest of all possible bars, but it clears it. Was I was going to say, that bar is almost as low as best video game film adaptation. <laughs> That's a, Which is a very right. low bar. Alexis, um, I... I... I wanted to make sure that I didn't cut you off about regarding anything re regarding the director, um, her personal uh, struggles with this film. Was there anything else you wanted to add to that? Before we close out for the evening. No, like I said, I think that the film is kind of interesting if you do look at it through the eyes of someone processing their own grief, but I don't think that that makes it a good movie. No. I think it makes it an interesting study. Yes. And I think that this is something that would actually be very useful to study for psychology and mm -hmm. uh, psychiatry students. I actually think this is something to look into that from that kind of a perspective. Mm -hmm. But again... I guess when you were talking about like, you know, don't, you know, against directors who use that, I always go back to, and it's a most recent example. I always go back to James Gunn with Suicide Squad because mm -hmm. he went on record saying that that movie was kind of a way for him to process his, uh, well, no, I, I don't want to say grief, mm -hmm. but definitely his depression over his temporary firing from Disney. Okay. And he talked about how that movie was getting to make that movie uh, for Warner Brothers was a saving grace for him. But I'm going to take your hand and, and bring you to the, to the point that you're inferring, which is no one would have known that unless you talked to James Gunn or you okay. read about it. It isn't plastered all over Suicide Squad. It's plastered all over this movie. I okay. mean, you, you'd have to you'd have to be either like just blind to what this person was was going after like like purposely blind like you're not looking for like this has to be the most passive of passive movie watching experience for you to not realize what she's trying to do in this movie and therein lies the difference trying to bring um, her parents back from the dead <laughs> and and hey you know like laudable goal probably a little misplaced i think is the point so you're so you're saying that it, there's no problem with using a, a director using a film to work through their grief and their issues. We just don't want it to be smacking us in the face like a fish. Correct. They're, well, they're, and, and you need a especially, hang on. Uh, I, I might say, if we're going to talk about just the ethical quandary that potentially brings up, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing it on someone else's dime. And that's what I was saying before. If this is a self, look, if she's like, I have this passion to remake the matrix. I want a female lead. I want to process my parents guilt and I'm going to go self-finance. The last 20 minutes of this conversation is moot. That's the point. You have a, you have a, um, you have a, you have to honor the agreement you're making when it's somebody else's money. It's like, you know, if I pay you to do something, Alexis, and you take the opportunity to do something else, you know, you know with the money I paid you, that's the problem. Uh, let me, I'm not even worried about what it is you did so much. Well, you know? uh, look, here's a nice little analogy. If I pay you to re-roof my house, 
and instead you remodeled the bathroom because you and your father had a long-standing goal of remodeling a bathroom together and he passed recently and i come home and i go why'd you remodel my bathroom well don't you understand this was how i processed my grief and i will share my set my sympathies with you losing a parent is terrible i haven't lost either of mine yet uh thank god but i paid you to fix my roof <laughs> there's the point all right all right with that said here comes the lack of money I love the worried look on the guy behind the computer's face in that. I still I really don't do. know what episode that is. Uh, I'd have to look. I will look it up. That's, it's like you're the walking Simpsons encyclopedia, man. All right. So on an on an almost two hundred million dollar budget, I am I imagine that they're lowballing the hundred ninety million. Yeah, I'm let's let's round that up to there. an even two hundred. Wow, there is just like a massive dip there. That is the biggest downward slide. Should have seen last week. Um, two hundred million dollars. It's made as of this recording, which is the Tuesday after, uh, sixty-eight point four million dollars. You know what that means, Robert? I do, Ollie. At least financially. Um, however, uh. It didn't win the weekend either. Um, it finished weekend. behind Sing too. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> and, and that was a lot of the um, that was a lot of what was in the, the periodicals about uh, you know, the trades about this was that nothing. It, you know, the only thing that even stood a chance against Spider Man at this point was uh, was Sing too. Every you know between the Matrix Resurrections being day and date, and also getting poor word of mouth. Um, it, it didn't have a, 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 a Chinaman's chance. And then, you know, and then Ronnie and I talked about the Kingsman. Nobody went to go see that. Only me and Ronnie. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to say this because mm -hmm. I, as we look at the box office numbers here, they're listing this gross as 12 million. Mm -hmm. I'm calling BS. It's a statistical impossibility for that. That thing's gross to have arrived at an even 12 million unless well, it is highlighted blue for estimated. Unless everything was pre-bought by the studio. <laughs> like, unless you have very specific receipts here, mm -hmm. I'm calling bull. Okay, I got to ask you guys something. Honest question. It's no secret, reading some of these articles here, that Warner Brothers, like you said, basically told Lana, we're going to make a fifth Matrix movie, whether you're in on, in on this or not. And there was a brief period that Lana Wachowski was not going to be involved. Right. Uh, do you I would, think I would love to slide to that alternate reality? Do you think this movie would have succeeded had we gotten somebody who had never worked with the Matrix before? Because this has always been the Wachowski's baby. I, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, and here's why. Um, that's a very so the people who um, don't have any connection to the Matrix. I mean, it's like you know zillions of people. So if one of those zillions of people statistically was able to at least sit down, watch the thing, understand what it is, and do their take on it, it absolutely could have been successful. That is a lot of variables, though. And here, and I'm going to go to the next thing about that. Um, a conversation that Robert and I had before we went live tonight was 
you know, I made a comment to our coworker that I don't think Disney is the evil empire. And by evil, I mean incompetent. Um, that would be Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If if your definition of evil is incompetence, no, Disney is very competent as a right. general rule. Yeah. You know, but, but everyone likes to say, oh, it's, the, you know, and we even joke about it here. You know, Disney is the, it, it, the mouse is evil, the evil empire. Look. Disney made a concerted effort to, you know, when it realized I, that I it, eagerly anticipate a remake of the great of the great dictator starring Charlie Chaplin, but animated starring Mickey Mouse. I hope. Look, here's the thing: Disney recognized a while ago it does like one thing right and everything else badly, and so it acquired a whole bunch of different companies that were doing things right and basically said, "Here's money. Continue to do what you're doing." And you know, voila, 2019, they have the gross national product of Switzerland. You know, uh, it, <laughs> most of the EU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're a little balling it there, man. <laughs> very, very I, much. I was so. thinking of Zurich. Um, well, you know, whatever. Or was it Liechtenstein, which is like the banking country? Um, no, no, no. Switzerland is a banking country, but they don't have a giant GDP. With right. what Disney generated in 2019, again, they're like swallowing Portugal, France, Spain, <laughs> and Italy. Okay. Trust me, enough. I've been to Liechtenstein. You know what they have there? Stamps. So, um. My point being, oh, we, we never did the Amazon plug. I'll get to it in a second. Um, I'm pretty sure Disney could, in fact, buy Denmark at this point. I'm pretty sure they could buy most of the European Union. Yeah. For um, what it's worth, I also have the article here. Studio CEO Ann Sarnoff has confirmed the franchise is going with the fifth movie and they want Lana back. <laughs> <laughs> well, Did the crickets really work when you make Robert laugh like that? Hang on. The over-under on that sentiment being walked back is set at three months. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the point that I the point that I was getting to before we get back into uh, the money here is that when I, when I said the evil empire is not Disney, Disney made all the right moves <laughs> and has been rewarded with, you know, monstrous <laughs> success. I'm not going to call them the evil empire. The evil empire is Warner Brothers, who had, every, who had every opportunity to get a win, fumbles the ball, kicks it into the parking lot, and then walked into oncoming traffic. I mean, they are Disney is so evil. terribly mismanaged, it's, it like hurts me. Disney is the evil empire. They're just the evil empire that works. Warner Brothers is the evil empire that you look at if you're the plucky underdog rebels going, we're not the underdogs, are we? <laughs> like these people, these people couldn't manage their way out of a wet paper bag. We got no, this. Uh, when you make Sony look competent, just give up. Just look for a buyer. See if really? Amazon will take you. Um, uh, Amazon, I don't think Amazon could. They bought MGM recently. No, I, I really was just making a joke. All right. Then again, hang on. Then again. There's a real argument to be made that they could acquire one more major production studio and not violate antitrust laws. So there you go, Spider-Man. Um, you know, so, so sell yourself to Netflix and be done with it. Uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home repeated in the in its second frame and is looking Big to be like the most like profitable movie ever. Well, for uh, Sony, statistic for Sony, it's the most profitable yeah, movie yeah, ever. Yeah. That said, the 67 percent drop for Spider-Man in its second week. Uh, raise an eyebrow a little bit, but not. I mean, also, everyone on, on Earth on. saw it in the first week, though. Which is why it's not a big like other movies. That's a big sure. drop. Well, Here, not to it's mention a little it... bit. It's probably a little bit overestimate. Uh, like you want that to be closer to sixty than seventy, mm. but 
Yeah, it, it it's in no. I mean, that's in no. Spider Man's in no danger of becoming yeah, anything. Yeah, the well, they made so much. They made so much money in the first weekend. It's like, of course, it's a sixty for seven drop because they had to go from an outrageous, ludicrous amount of money to just a outrageous amount of money. <laughs> right. Um. All right. Sing two debuted in the number two spot. Uh, my kids saw it today. Everyone, everyone loved it. Thought it was fantastic. My 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 son jamming at the system of a down made me happy. The yeah, there's a there's a sequence in that where uh, one of his where one of the assistants is driving and chops yeah. Huey's on the radio. <laughs> um, I couldn't remember the name of the song. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, the Matrix debuted at number three, which who knows how much better it would have not been day and date. More on that in a few minutes. Kingsman debuted at number four. American Underdog five. Journal for Jordan seven. Um, like Let me remind you guys, you wanted to review American Underdog when it was first announced. I'm the one that actually pushed for us to do West Side Story instead. West Side which, Story fell from three to six. Hang on, which one's which one's American Underdog? Kurt Warner that, biopic. Yeah. Oh right, exactly right, right. I had no um, dog in that hunt. <laughs> uh, bleh, Licorice Pizza um debuted a wide it got, release. It's got it Christmas. got its wide release. Yeah. Um. So it shot up from fourteen to eight, which is and fine. I'm sure it'll get another set of releases after it performs well at the Oscars because that's Encan just what. Encanto dropped from uh, from the number two spot to number nine. Yeah, that's a mad. I mean, it, it like, it's now on streaming. It is. It's it, on it, Disney Plus. It mm -hmm. is. That's still a hefty drop. And then finishing out the top twenty uh, for the weekend were Ghostbusters Afterlife, which dropped from four to eleven. Nightmare Alley, which plummeted from five to twelve. Oh, I did uh, it. Gucci six to thirteen. Why is the Boss Baby back in theaters again? How'd that happen? Um. Hey Robert, how was Nightmare Alley? And I, 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 we were supposed to review, and I had to bow out because of strep throat. I, very, I very much enjoyed it. You know, it, it's, it's not as like horror as you might expect, given that it's Del Toro and doing stuff set in a carnival. But it's, uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. Great performances from everyone. Some nice set pieces. Like I, I don't have much of a bad thing to say about that movie, other than. I think it needed to be a little bit shorter, but you'd have to go back with a really deft hand to edit. Red Rocket debuted at number 16 um, and had its wide release. Much to the chagrin of Mark. Yeah, well, not only that, but apparently it's people are not loving it, which makes me sad. Stillwater, it, it, look, look, some Oscar bait yeah. catches, some Oscar bait does not. Yeah. Uh, Eternals dropped from 8 to 18. Um, and then Land came in at 19, and then Last Night in Soho at 20. Looks like a lot of stuff came back into theaters. Uh, worldwide, Probably doing some uh, Oscar bait re uh, yeah. releases. Uh, worldwide, Spider Man uh, is the number one movie in the world. It finally beat the Chinese Chinaman and has made over a Get billion a dollars. The, the first to do so um, since 2019. Uh, right look, now, look, the Chi right now it, the Chinese are for tr freaking yeah. out, trying to find how many few people didn't buy a ticket and go force them at gunpoint well, to go uh, see hold, it. Yeah, look, the Chinese government is going to force every one of their citizens to buy another ticket to watch this thing again, or they're just going to lie about it to their own people right. because that's what the Chinese government does. Um, which and puts that, no time to die. And will get us demonetized on YouTube faster than anything else at this point. Glad to see that that's the goal now. Um, no Time to Die uh, drops to four. F9 to five. Detective Chinatown drops to six. Venom ascended to number seven with five with over $500 million. Hey, Chris Bailey, Venom made more than Eternals. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I thought the world wouldn't end again over the summer. <sighs> You're so smart, Chris Bailey. Can I love you, Chris Bailey. 
Look, Mark, it's going to end again in another couple of in another month or so. Then it'll come back. Then three to four months later, it'll end again. And, and this is, they'll be me on TikTok just throwing all my projections in the air. And, and look, um, this is this is just reality. As long as people decide they can try and utilize a mysterious virus of unknown origin that's becoming endemic to exercise undue power over people. And I say that not as a not as a political statement about party, but just that people in power tend to abuse that power. This is a human truth. Um, Godzilla versus Kong drops to eight. Uh, Shang Chi comes in at number nine, and Eternals is in the top ten, but barely crossed four hundred. It did not make five hundred. I'm so sorry, Chris Bailey. You're so smart, Chris Bailey. Chris <laughs> Bailey, you're so pretty. Anyway, um, so that I really do have to say his name three times. <laughs> Don't you? This, no, no. It's like a tick. <laughs> Um, more, more like a talk. All right. So I, I want to. I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. There's there we five. go. <laughs> All right. So I have a list. Oh, do you? <laughs> and an article that I would like to share with the class. Oh, um, we are using. This... Go we stand in front of the chalkboard. We are using this. This percentage of the pie presents 50% of the population. And this, sorry, um, broken a Monty Python there for a second. I want to talk about the HBO Max um, day and date experiment. Uh, at the end of 2020, they did all their pictures onto HBO Max day and stop. date. Okay, look, um, if I have to retire hack, you have to stop saying yeet, which is I have to say word. yeet as many times as you say hack, and I've got like 10 years to catch up on. So let's yeet forward. No, um, not even if you do accept that's something of a word, that's not how you use it. Anyway, so they threw all their crap onto HBO Max because who knew what was happening? This is pre this is pre vaccines being available. This is without knowing at all what was going to happen with with the COVID uh, virus. And so they were like, well, after how 2020 went, where we had to keep delaying everything for months on end, we have to find a way to release this somehow and make some decent amount of money off of it. Yeah, Warner Brothers barely released a movie in 2020. So here's the thing. Nobody, including Disney Plus, was ready to go with their streaming services when they went. And some went anyway and just said, we'll figure it out. We'll, you know, we'll call it in the ring, brother. And then... And then COVID happens and lockdowns happen and everyone's going, oh, God, we don't have a distribution model to deal with this. And we're sitting on millions and millions of dollars worth of pictures and quick launch their streaming services to try to make some hay out of this whole thing. And Warner Brothers in particular, their method of doing it was, well, let's see what happens if we just release everything onto HBO Max and come what may. And the question you're here to answer is, was this or was this not successful? I have an article that says it is, and I have a list that that runs the um, budget versus the um, uh, how much the how much they uh, they made. And it's it's interesting. I'm just going to share this with you. Let's see if I Please can do. Find it again. So I got the article up here. Thank you for yep. uh, sending us a link. Thanks for that, Cleo. Okay. So I'm going to whip through this. Uh, name of you the just, movie, budget, just, and then box hey, office. You want to just share your screen? I suppose. Um, Probably would make it easier. Okay. I mean, it's it, like I said. You said you wanted to share with the class. I speak for the people, Mark. <sighs> you speak He's for gonna the people. going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, there it is. As best I can, <sighs> I can give it to you. All right, so the little thing starting at the beginning of 2021, the little things has a budget of 30 million. It bo its box office gross was 29.8, so 
uh, it did not make any money. Judas and the Black Messiah, which obviously competed for prizes, so this almost doesn't matter. But for the sake of argument, it still it's matters. It's twenty. It made. It was uh, budgeted at twenty six million. It made seven million at the box office. Those you really which, should have sent this to me, Mark. I could have actually prettied this up for you. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Those who wish me dead. Twenty three. Uh, it made twenty three point four million. It's <laughs> its budget wasn't listed. So that I'm was the Angelina Jolie Forest yeah. Fire film, right? Yep. I re- for the record, uh, I rather enjoyed that movie. Um, you have to like Tyler Sheridan's work, uh, but I say that as a stylistic choice, not that you need some deep understanding of mm-hmm. lore or anything, but he's got a specific style that he uses. And if you enjoy that, it's a very enjoyable movie. And I don't imagine it was terribly expensive to me. I'm not saying it made money. I'm saying that wasn't a $100 million movie. Um, In the Heights was budgeted at 55, <laughs> it made 43.9. Suicide Squad budgeted 185 million. It made 167. Reminiscence budgeted at on the high end 68 million. It made 15. Malignant 40 versus 34. Cry Macho 33 versus 14. The Many Saints of Newark uh, 50 versus 12. King Richard 50 versus 26. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine, ten movies released that did not exceed where the box office receipts did not exceed their budget, which at first glance makes this an abysmal failure. But uh, movies that exceeded their budgets, Tom and Jerry, um, but it did not double its budget and therefore tech presumably was not profitable. Godzilla versus Kong exceeded uh twice its budget, but considering this movie was projected to be a billion dollar take wildly underperformed uh i would not call that a, a success even though it was being touted at such at times mortal combat uh exceeded yeah. its budget but not enough to be profitable the conjuring is the only movie on this list that isn't anywhere near profitable it had a 39 million dollar budget and a 200 million dollar take so literally one out of one two three four five six one movie that exceeded its budget that was also profitable Space Jam. All the movies, that one. It wasn't that good. Space Jam, Robert. Look, hang on. I will in a second. Hang on. Mm -hmm. It helps that The Conjuring is an established film franchise at this point, for better or for worse. It helps that they're made cheap. And that, look, horror movies, they've existed in perpetuity in Hollywood because they're relatively cheap to make. And they very rarely lose money. When they do, they don't lose much. And when they hit, they hit really big. It's a easy formula for success to keep the lights on at your studio and yeah hey lebron you're still an mj shadow and you always that'll be on your tombstone so not space jam was Michael not Jordan. profitable and then dune yeah. for as much money as it did make you know had a 165 million dollar budget i that's i mean i think it just how much of that there. was domestic though and how much was foreign because we were talking about how we got an early overseas release no, I mean, but that's collectively. That's worldwide. That's where I okay. pulled all these from. So just based on that alone, I can't... You, you, if you're really- just looking at box office receipts, you can't call what they did a wild success. A lot of these were... were a lot, you know, most of them weren't profitable. Almost all of them weren't profitable. And only a few even exceeded their budgets. However, uh, I have an article here from Wired that says... And this is dated uh, December 10th. 
HBO Max might have outsmarted the streaming wars. The play to put all Warner Brothers theatrical movies on the service in 2021 was a big gamble. It paid off. And here's their contention. Almost exactly one year ago, Warner Brothers made a rather startling announcement. In 2021, all the movies on its slate would be released on HBO Max the same day they hit theaters. Um, which is all of one I, I just said. I've, would you like me to summarize the, the article's point briefly? Because I've read, I, I've read the article after you. Oh, be my guest that. here. That saves me from having to read. Uh, okay. The contention being made here is that the decision to release everything on HBO Max day and date was a good one because it actually grew subscribers for HBO Max at a time when trying to get a foothold into the streaming wars is something that everyone is struggling with. You've got Peacock, which is not really a streaming service. You've got Paramount Plus. I have to dig a Peacock because I do. Uh, you've uh, HBO Max is about to be partially folded in with all of the Discovery stuff, which includes, um, I think, the OWN Network, the Food Network, Animal Planet. Uh, so that's coming, I think, next year at some point. Awesome. That means that now I get to see more Alden Brown. I'm fine with that. Yeah. All, uh, okay. all the Food Network stuff is just like, I love that. I do, uh, too. I, I love, I love Food Network. Point being. The, the contention is that this was a temporary financial setback in order to do the one thing that most streaming services right now can't do or aren't doing, and that's actually grow your subscriber base. Um, Netflix's subscriber count has been pretty static. Ditto Amazon Prime. Uh, Hulu's now folded in with a bunch of other stuff. But the fact that because in no small part because of this decision... HBO Max saw growth in total subscriber count from, I believe, 60 to 71 million. Does the article talk about whether or not it maintained or or was there churn? Churn being the term, as I learned earlier this year, where people subscribe and then cancel with like, what, within like, I think a month or a week or something? Well, it says here, yeah, when they initially launched what they call codename Project Popcorn, HBO and HBO Max had about 61 million subscribers worldwide. Today, that number is closer to 70 million. Mm -hmm. uh, for context, Netflix has somewhere near 214 million subscribers, while a smaller cable network like Stars has 30 million. So, uh, so. The, again, the crux of the argument here is this was an acceptable gamble, especially in a year where they were going to lose anyway. To gain a legitimate foothold as pr by presenting a streaming service that's actually worth the money, unlike insert X number of other very other alternatives, and you can pick whichever one you like. There's a billion of them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in the next look in the next five years, Mark, I think we should launch the Radlich and Broadcasting Network streaming service. <laughs> Lord knows we have enough content to do it. <laughs> we 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 line it up with we subhead it the way Disney Plus is set up. We have individual shows. Uh, we can order them all chronologically. Don't tell me we can't do this. I mean, we can do anything. All things are possible through Christ. Listen, that's I think no, the... that's not funny because you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the central question is when you look at what the article's contention is versus the you know the box office where you know ninety nine point nine percent of everything they put out failed this year uh, financially. Some of it pretty it comes, big. It comes down to your, I guess, opinion. Um, so I'll go to you first, Alexis. Do you, you know, do you, would you, if you're looking at um, subscriber base, as they've, as they've talked about in the article, versus box office uh, successes and failures, do you think this is a success or do you think that this, uh, you know, this was a failure? This was implemented at a time when they didn't, we didn't know that we were going to get a vaccine for right. COVID. We did not know 
uh, when we were going to get things back going back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, HBO and Warner Brothers were essentially playing the long game, the long gamble, and assuming that it was probably going to be a while before we get back to normal. And even still, even though we have the vaccine, theaters are not as full as they used to be. All you right. know, Spider Man notwithstanding i think that is an exception when you look at the trends of what we have seen over the last few months it's a big time anomaly the fact is as robert put it this was not a year that any studio was going to make a ton of money we are still recovering from the fallout of 2020 Mm -hmm. and the first half of the year there was no movement no real releases we were you know there was no vaccine so there was nothing Growing in a subs- growing the subscription based services was really the only way that eight- Warner Brothers was going to see a massive increase in money. The idea is essentially saying we can't guarantee and gamble on theatrical releases, so let's put our money on where we know a hundred percent we will get an increase in money. Um, similar with my company, the idea that okay, so I I was unable to go to conventions in 2020 and the, for the first half of 2021, so I said instead of focusing on merchandise that would be popular at conventions, let's focus on the merchandise that'll be popular online. This was a gamble, and I do think it paid off, even though they didn't make as much money. I don't think that a lot of those films would have made a ton more money had they gotten solely theatrical releases. Okay. I think if you really wanted to see it in the theaters, you saw it in theaters. So let me posit this so as to not be repetitive. My contention, Robert, is that if they thought this was the, the Wired article can, you know, can do whatever propaganda it wants. And certainly HBO Max can put out. Uh, whatever statement they want about it. I think internally they don't see this as a success. And here's what I'm going to hinge my argument on. If it was successful, they'd keep doing it. If they thought that there was a substantial enough um, sustain, sustainable growth in HBO Max subscriptions, the Batman would be it would be day and date. And as of this recording, it's not. Watch this now be dated in a week when they decide it is. But um, but Knock as of right, wood. but as of right now, a Warner Brothers isn't releasing another movie until the Batman, and the Batman is as they've they've said at this point, every 2021 release is theatrical exclusive with a 45 day window. Yeah, um, they, they might. I think i heard they might be shortening that but we'll have to wait mm-hmm. and see like that I might mean, be just a, i might... think the industry standard is now 45 days i but wouldn't... some are more some are less i wouldn't be shocked if we saw a lot of these <laughs> warner brothers movies go to a shorter than 45 day exclusivity okay. the question i posited to you is do you agree or disagree that <laughs> if they thought this was successful this year deep down inside in their heart of hearts they'd have kept doing it they haven't kept doing it they have said they've drawn a line in the sand they said 2021 was nice we're going back to normal or the new normal in 2022 which tells me they don't think this was tremendously successful uh there's a couple of variables that need to be properly accounted for if we're going to have that particular discussion there's a very real chance that they looked at this and went this is successful dot 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 here's the dot 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 Disney just got sued by two major movie stars. Mm -hmm. If they're trying to hedge their bets away from that while they restructure contract boilerplate, 2021 wouldn't be the worst idea in the world to take a small step back while they get all their ducks in a row, legally speaking, to then do this more going forward. 
The other issue that you have would have to be contended with in this case is they did see growth through this model. Mm-hmm. If they got it to a level that's now going to maintain, it might not be worth it to like the you might have hit the point of diminishing returns where now going back to a bit more of that model and they might cycle like mm-hmm. let, let's be clear about this they might go first quarter of 2021 theatrical exclusive with a 40-day window or whatever it happens to be right just take mm-hmm. 40 for the sake of argument then when the next variation of covid hits and we have another wave of panic and they okay next four months everything day and date like this might be an ongoing modulation process for them until they find something they're really happy with uh i think they consider it a success and that's because they're desperately trying to find something to be happy about i think i mean look they saw a growth of around 10 million more subscribers to their channel to their streaming service over this time period Peacock doesn't see that kind of big spike. Uh, Paramount Plus doesn't see a big spike like that. I don't think Disney Plus or Netflix see spikes like that. Like they had to establish themselves as a viable, as a viable property in that space, and I think they probably do consider it a success. Now, that's only good up to the date that uh, up to the moment and projections are certainly useful but they're not foolproof by any stretch of the imagination if their projections are whether we release day and date or not we're going to be at around the same number well then let's uh, let's keep our window relatively short and try to keep theaters happy and try to keep our you know our movie stars and our directors happy while we sort out what a what a better way to kind of manage stuff that goes straight to streaming is rather than again, again look disney getting sued by scarlet i don't think people really yeah, have keep, kind of wrapped their heads around that you keep bringing up disney but it's not like warner brothers didn't have trouble this year either in the same True. vein they, they they ended up in a, in a legal fight with legendary who oh, was yeah. responsible for dune and uh kong godzilla versus, versus kong, godzilla versus kong yeah. among other things they they lost christopher nolan who was firmly entrenched in the warner brothers system until that happened and he went f this well, he took his ball and went to Universal. Hang on. The the other story behind that. Tenet. No, 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 not Tenet. Like, that's part of it, but ha- hang mm-hmm. on. The other story behind uh, Nolan leaving Warner Brothers was purely around the budget of his Oppenheimer pick. Mm-hmm. Like, Warner Brothers said, we'll give you X. To, like, we like you. We like doing business with you for the most part. So here, you want to do this. We will give you X. And he said, but I need Y. And they said, well, we're not going to give you more than X. And Universal jumped up and down screaming and went, we'll give you Y. We'll give you Y. We'll give you Y. And he went, if I can get, we'll give you X. Like, I, which, I can get- at which point, Christopher Nolan circled around the pole and Universal stood up and just threw dollars at him. And he's like, that, that was purely a decision based on him wanting to have the budget necessary right. to do what he wanted to do. That was not him going, I hate working with you people. Well, I would not say it's it's an either or. I think it's a little from column A and a little from I, column B. Sh- the man sure. outright was pissed and oh, said so publicly well, with all that happened with Tenet and the day and date model. Well, there's also the problem that 
contracts for so many of these directors and actors whatever was that they got a part of the gross mm -hmm. of what would they what they received there was no way anyone at any of these corporations could have known that this pandemic was going to happen and that this was going to limit release so you have a lot of actors directors whatever who have now had their pieces of the gross severely limited and like you said robert we're going to see a massive overhaul in contracts here in the next year or so because they're now basically going to be putting in these giant loopholes saying okay what happens if you know an act of god uh shortens how long a movie can be in theaters or yeah, we have well, to do the streaming service instead so because this has to be protected now yeah again long story short i think this is a lot a little bit more of trying to get their ducks in a row than it is a boy this was a failed experiment i think it was largely successful i mean here's the other thing about this and look we can take shots at warner brothers and we will in the future I'm, I'm so, going to as soon as you stop talking because there's some one more thing I got to say. Yeah, somebody was going to have to bite this bullet. Mm -hmm. Somebody, it didn't matter who it was. At some point, with the technological advancement, this was going to be an inevitable fight that was going to be fought by somebody. It happened to be Warner Brothers for the most part. Again, somebody was going to bite the bullet and try it. It wound up being them. Slightly different circumstances. Maybe it's Disney. In a conversation that I'm sure nearly aggravated every single person in our chat, um, <laughs> Robert and I got into a discussion of when was the last time Warner Brothers had a successful year, a year in which they had more financial successes in their release schedule than failures. And we determined through you know the simple equation of twice of making more than twice the budget, trying to keep this as simple as possible. The last time they had more successes and failures financially, 2017. <laughs> Well, uh, for perspective, what movies came out in 2017? Hang on. Uh, give me a sec. I'll look at it. No, up. I got yeah. it. You talk, you talk oh, to okay. Alexis. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I feel that it's important to have the perspective when we talk about the successes. What were the successes that kept Warner Brothers nope. lights on that year? I got you. Uh, I didn't remember off the top of my head. Uh, they had a pretty good 2019. I think that deserves to be said. 2019 saw them release Joker, Shazam, and Detective Pikachu all of which were financially successful. 2019 also had a couple of notable flops to go along with that, which is kind of what offset it. All right, so 2017 looks like this. Um, uh, the Lego Batman movie. Um, fist fight. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Kong Skull Island. There's a... I know uh, what you're looking at. Chips. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. I know, but you're looking at it by year for 2017. Not I was going to say, Brothers. you're actually going to tell me that Chips was successful? No. no, no, no I, I thought the question was what they released. I'm, I'm reading you what they released. Focus on the good. Focus on what made money. Yeah. Okay. Then what? Then you look at this and have a better memory than I did. I mean, okay, I'm looking, on, I'm looking at the highest grossing films domestic, and it was Wonder Woman and uh, it was Wonder Woman, Justice League, and It. No momento. Okay. Well, those were big money makers. They certainly the were. A list of Warner Brothers films. Well, not 20, Justice League, but twenty ten to twenty nineteen, and we're talking two thousand seventeen. Hey, so, well, hang on. Hang, okay, here you... it is. Here it is. Hang on. Right, so the it? so the Lego Batman movie was a big success. Kong Skull Island was a big success. Um, that was a failure. That was a failure. Wonder Woman was a very big success. Dunkirk was a success. 
Uh, Annabelle Creation was a success. It was a success. Blade Runner 2049 was not a giant hit, but it was successful. Uh, Justice League flopped. Geostorm mostly flopped. And there was one... Wasn't there one other one? Uh, no, sorry. That's when we get into... 20, 2018 was a terrible year for them. I was saying but, that it's a downhill slide cratering, you know, in uh, in 2020. Um, and then, and then this well, year, was just for the record, for, for the record for 18, I'm mm. only going to go over the bigger releases here. They had Tomb Raider bombed ready player one, mostly bombed rampage. Didn't do great. Oceans eight, the, uh, all female remake bombed. I say that for clarity, not to laugh at it. <laughs> uh, crazy rich Asians was pretty good. The Meg bombed the nun did. Okay. I hate that the Meg bombed. That was such a fun time. I know. Ah, uh, it's a shame. It, that, that's a movie that was made like 10 years too late. You know? mm -hmm. uh, Fantastic Beasts, pretty well bombed. Creed 2 did okay. Um, their Jungle Book adaptation bombed pretty hard. Aquaman did good. Aquaman did excellent. Yeah. That was a billion dollar picture. Uh, yeah, but then we get into 19 where uh, Lego Movie Part 2 bombed. Uh, Shazam did okay. Uh, that bombed. That did okay. So, yeah, 2019 had a... Uh, 2019 was mostly okay. Again, there were a couple of bigger bombs, but it, for the most part, 2019 was uh, was just fine. So, again, going over the list and, and then getting into the conversation that we had, and, and this goes all the way back to my frustrations with this company, and it goes to, it goes to the heart of our whole conversation about the Matrix Resurrections. Warner Brothers has not been a well-run studio for a very long time, and there and some of their managerial things have been documented. They've had to have like oh, wholesale yeah. changes in leadership, mm -hmm. and they have yet to right this ship. It's still, it, it, it is still in choppy waters. Um, before we move on, let me quick remind everybody because I forgot to do this an hour ago that we are giving away a free month of the Amazon Unlimited service. The link in the description is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network for a free 30 days. Try it. Get, uh, helps us out. Uh, if you like it, you keep it. You pay the monthly fee. If not, you can cancel after 30 days. No fuss, no muss, no problems. But we love it. We use it all the time in the Middle Hammer of Doom. Yes, Robert. Speaking, uh, speaking of trying to find a foothold in the streaming wars, Amazon Music <laughs> is a very, very good service. So we're happy to give you a free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, you can piss off. <laughs> All right. What can I, say? Of... I was just going to say, if nothing else, uh, Matrix Resurrections did have some pretty good songs on it. I think we can all at least agree that. Ha hang on. That that cover of what the hell is the name of the song by Rage Against the Machine? Um, I, wa I wanted to die. I, I know that. First of all, I know that cover. Oh, Wake Up. Um, That cover of Wake Up that that ends the the movie because, you know, when it's done by the uh, the female singer, I'm crying. I was laughing so hard. I, you know, just the image of, of Trinity flying, you know, with, with Neo and all of the things we talked about before. And then that I was I the schadenfreude of it all. You, you, have, you have to laugh. Yeah, like, yeah I, because I, if you think that's being like, if you realize that's being played straight. There's, I, I honestly, there's nothing. There's, there's needed, no the response. Movie, the, the I was just left. talking about getting to hear Jefferson Airplanes got, or play White Rabbit. Can I tell on, that song is awesome. No, no, no. Can I tell you how much I told Robert I didn't want to even do this review anymore? I just wanted to review the trailer. Because I, <laughs> he did. He really did. Me. Me, Alexis. I wanted to review the trailer. <laughs> I would have said... 
I would have said just about everything I said about the movie about the trailer, too. All right. Speaking of wanting to review trailers and having my soul die a little inside. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 These back-to-back plugs are brought to you by Grammarly. Darn right Uh, they are. For you listeners of Damn You Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly I'm- today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com. That's getgrammarly.communism. Again, that's getgrammarly.com. To avoid avoid contextual errors like that. Hey, Lana Wachowski, maybe you should look at Grammarly so you can actually learn what an apostrophe is. You ever notice she doesn't abbreviate her words ever? Yeah. Yes. All right. So the audience. I'm going out on a limb and saying the 64% fresh rating from the critics is a lot of people who don't have the guts to say this sucks. Yeah, I would agree with you. So according, as far as what we're seeing on screen here, the audience score is 64 and the tomato meter score is 64. You know, both both sections of the populace are a little kumsi kumsa on this. Um, the audience score is only 63, not 64. Oh, whatever. Numbers are all relative. Uh, time no, is they're not. Circle. They're actually they're actually uh, manifestations of concepts that we've attempted to give shape. Your insistence on shut you, up, Einstein. Your insistence on numbers being uh, concrete and factual is an instrument of the patriarchy. Now listen, um, <laughs> <laughs> critical consensus as, as are all as are all numbers in science, right? And pants. If it lacks the originals, just scroll down and start. Reading? I'm trying. It, if it lacks or the originals, bracingly original craft, the Matrix Resurrections revisits the world of the franchise with wit, a timely perspective, and heart. Get bent. <laughs> timely perspective and wokeness are not the same thing. Hundred percent, not the same thing. Second of all, how in God's name do you get heart out of this emotionless like? Somebody else mentioned this, and I'm going to repeat it. I don't know where we get the notion that Neo and Trinity is like the great love story of that decade. <laughs> like, it, there is just very little chemistry between those two characters, and and they shot those, all of their interactions so badly, too. But it, This is actually what kills me, is that have you ever watched an, just an interview with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, just, just talking? Yeah, they, they actually have, have chemistry. They, they, they do. Joke. They, they have, they, it's like you watch I, you watch these two just talk and shoot the shit. You want to see these two in a movie together? And can I you subscribe really to your podcast, please? Like you've got that kind of rapport. <laughs> Paul Whittington of the Irish Independent. Given that I have no particular affection for any Matrix film, I found this one surprisingly watchable. Reeves' slightly non-plus acting style suits his character's dilemma perfectly. There are some decent effects and even a watery sense of humor. Does anyone remember laughing? Because I think the only time I remember laughing is when uh, the guy who played Morpheus was confused for Agent Smith and he let out a very cute little giggle. I laughed to stop from sobbing. (laughs) I I, I don't know how that guy got... 
unless he is misappropriate, misapplying the kind of meta commentary the movie tries to use to mask its terrible writing from the first 30 minutes to the entire two hour production. Robert's new favorite uh, review site from the front row, Matthew Lucas. That is not true. Mark, don't lie to the people. This is, I will. This is not just more of the same. It's a radical reinvention. A no, love it's story. not. A love story. It's a love story above all else that seeks to reframe the narrative around the Matrix and its enduring legacy. This is not a love story, you hack writer. And I know I, I, that's the last time I'm going to use that. Time. I'm going to find oh, a better God. adjective. You, stop lying to the people, but, Robert. No, no, no. Okay. I'm finding Seriously, a better adjective. What is it about everyone who works on this network? We have trouble. Every, we, everyone has like a word that they keep overusing. And it's like, my God, thesauruses. Mark, please send out thesauruses to everyone who works on this network. Okay, belated Christmas present for everyone. I feel like I do a variety of dumb <laughs> shit, okay? <laughs> that I'm not beating the same drum. Thank you, madam. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I like to think that I'm a creative, you know. I said send the sources to everyone. I never said you need one. Uh, speaking of the, the sources, Jennifer Heaton of Alternative Lens, it is both a celebration and a castigation of the series, essentially revolutionizing how franchise reboots are made whilst, whilst, whilst simultaneously criticizing everything wrong with them. In other words, somebody who, like you, Mark, liked the first 30 minutes of this movie. Yep, pretty much. Someone who liked the first 30 minutes didn't pay attention to the other 90 minutes that followed and likes it. I can't believe how many of these idiots are falling for this trick. This is the same. This, these are people pretending that Deadpool 2 has clever writing. It doesn't. Having your main character say, boy, this is bad writing to the audience doesn't make it good writing. You you are falling for the dumbest of, of verbal and screenwriting prestidigitation. You sad, sad people. Speaking of sad people, Sejin Kohler of Black Girl Nerds. It's resurrection in resurrections. We see how Neo and Trinity have similarly become imaginary parents, raising several generations of real worlders through the memory of their heroic acts of martyrdom that did fundamentally change that world. There are only two characters of the real worlders that I would say we actually get to know anything about and have even the slightest bit of chemistry bestowed upon them: Bugs and Sequoia. Russ Simmons, I don't know anything. You don't. You can't remember anything about else about anyone else. Uh, Russ Simmons of KKFI FM, Kansas City. Hey, that person lives next to you, Alexis. Um, that the best way to enjoy the Matrix Resurrections is to give up on trying to figure it all out and just go with the visually intensive flow. You know what? I might be willing to give you that if the visuals hadn't made me physically sick. Seriously, that's the root. That's essentially what I said about Tenant. But at least with Tenant, you could tell what was going on. And, and really, I've got to stress this: if your argument for a movie being an enjoyable experience is you need to suffer head trauma, you need to give up on giving that movie a positive review because that's a terrible, terrible thing to hang your hat on. Okay. Emily Wheeler of Emily Wheeler Movie Ops. It's a movie for loser. It's a movie from a filmmaker who sat with herself for much longer, sorted some things out, and is working in a culture that's just beginning to catch up to her. 
No. Oh boy, no. isn't it just no. nice to have girl power? Never mind how crappy the product. You are trying to cheerlead for the filmmaker, not review the film. What's the yeah, matter? Yeah, sorry, with you? I'm with Robert on this one. I, I believe we all are. Um, Jason Shawman, Nashville scene. Working for the first time as a director without her sister Lily, Lana Wachowski has made something bright and sincere and maddening and absolutely certain to mess with people's ex expectations. Yeah, you. we expected something good. One, we expected a watchable movie. Well, some people did. I didn't. Mostly because I'm familiar enough with the Wachowski's other work to just go, nope, that is a burning ship. Set it out to sea and <laughs> let it go. Second, stop trying to get on the DVD cover. You, <laughs> that's pathetic. Yeah. Uh, can we call that the official tick bird review of the night? Yeah, sure. Um, Andrea Chase of Killer Movie Reviews. Balance is a vibrant cacophony of action no. with a criminy, criminally flabby script that takes far too long to get where it needs to go. It really... Uh, I appreciate the fact that you actually called the script out for being terrible, but the action is piss poor. What are the standards you people are trying to hold this to where you find this acceptable? Okay. So this one's for you, Alexis, because... Over the, I, I would like to think, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and, and if I'm wrong, you can, you know, you can point and laugh and say you're wrong, but I would like to think that over the course of a year or so, two years of, of doing specifically Damn You Holly with, Rob, with Robert and I, um, whatever your preconceived notions of what a craft review is, hopefully has changed. Um, I, I'm hoping this has been a positive experience for you, and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is the language of craft. And this is what these guys are doing. I don't always agree with their points of view, but I at least accept that this is elevated conversation in a language that I hadn't maybe been speaking before. Um, okay. I would like to. Yeah. I would like at least like to think so. I would like to think, yeah, working with you guys, I think I have gotten a better ability to express myself and my viewpoints with movies, and not just saying, "Oh, that sucks." So here's in sort of a Christmas Carol way, here's where you might have landed <laughs> had Robert and I not interceded in your in your purview of film craft. Joanna Langfield of the Movie Minute. Lana Wachowski goes for broke here. And oh yeah, there are a lot of effects too. And I can see Russia from my house. Was I really that bad when I first started on the <laughs> no. network? No. No, not that bad. <laughs> no. It's like I'd like to think that when you brought me the first time I talked about Captain Marvel and then I got I screwed That's... up because I didn't hear you say here comes the money and I talked over the sound effects. You were not that bad, but I just know that me that I I would like to think that had we not intervened, that is the equivalent of Scrooge looking at the lonely grave um <laughs> in a Christmas carol. Whose lonely grave is that? That is Lana, Joanna Langfield. <laughs> God, that's fucking terrible. That is a horrible <laughs> review. <laughs> it's so dumb. Again, part of me wonders, it's like, was it intended for that snippet to be included? Because it's like, the, there are sometimes we've read a couple of these and we've sat there and go, why was that snippet highlighted? And right. we wondered what the hell was going on with the Rotten Tomatoes at algorithm. The, at the moment, I'm going to assume that's the only coherent couple of sentences that were put together <laughs> for that review. Like, yeah, the rest of it's chicken noises. Um, it's, a, it's a series of 14 tweets in a thread. <laughs> 
Uh, Christopher Mattel of Cineview, freed from expectation, we can see the Matrix Resurrections for the strange, flawed, and unapologetically personal thing that it is. Well, here's a person who gives Lana an award for dealing with her trauma, which, again, is a nice thing to do, and I think a proper thing to do, you know, is to work on yourself and better yourself as a human being, not at the expense of your job. Not at the expense of your job. Not at the expense of your job. Or the jobs of all the other people who you've negatively impacted by doing this. None of this none of this stuff happens on an island. And can we stop giving out participation trophies for this? Review the film. <laughs> okay, that's all you have to do. Uh, Annie Bundle of NBC News Think with capital letters. Don't you understand, Robert Winfrey? We must think. We must ascend to an intellectual place. It is a call to action. For those looking for that old cyberpunk dystopia, this reboot may be a disappointment. But as a disappointment vision... <laughs> for a whole lot of other reasons than that. But as a vision of hope, Lana Wachowski has done something rare. Taken back the story to finish it as she sees fit. Call it the Matrix Reclaimed. You Boy. people. <laughs> you know what? Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I, let me just say once no, no, again, no, no, no. George Lucas is film's greatest monster. Yes, not for the reasons you think. Every one of you, every one of you miserable, sycophantic drudges. I want to see what you said about Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. You, you will heap plaudits on Lana Wachowski for this pile of excrement because she used it to deal with the trauma of her parents' loss when Zack Snyder was castigated for doing the same thing that person mentioned, reclaiming their story after the suicide of his daughter, which is infinitely more tra infinitely strong. It is exponentially more tragic. You people are two-faced hypocrites, and you disgust me. You can't really compare that, though, because Snyder didn't do the Snyder cut to deal with the grief of his daughter. He left the movie to deal with the grief of his daughter. He knew that he was unable to focus on the movie while going through what he had. And, and no man should ever go through what he went through. Right. And no then question. He, and he reclaimed that picture because Josh Whedon and Warner Brothers gave the, you know, gave hit what was, what okay, used to have been me, his movie, you know, the old pinball treat. <laughs> okay. Let me give you an, a slightly different uh, example then. I expect every one of you to have a positive review of the performances of Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando from the island of Dr. Moreau. Again, citing that movie. Eh, sure, look, Kilmer was only... Look, Kilmer was a dick on that set, and it ruined his career for good reason. But if the first day of shooting, you're listening to an interview with your wife on a, day show, on a daytime talk show, and she says, yeah, I'm getting a divorce, and you were not privy to that information, or your Brando and your daughter tragically passes again, a week before shooting supposed to start. If you people are going to stand and do the seal clap for artists who are able to process, who use, try to process their grief this way, you can't be, you, you have to do it for everyone. And it destroys your ability to give anything approximating legitimate criticism. It's, I'm going to say it again. It's pathetic because it renders everything you do invalid un, and unuseful. Okay, a couple of negative ones here, just because these make me laugh, or I like the people who did them, or I like to read them, rather. Lanita Cook, KCTV 5 News at 9. That's the yeah. network I used to work for. Yeah, well, she says it's a little on the nose. I don't get what the hell that's supposed to mean. Again, 
I don't think that was the right excerpt for Rotten Tomatoes to highlight. <laughs> I, I don't think that phrase means what that writer thinks it means. <laughs> uh, Ed Whitfield, the tray, Robert Winfrey. Don't you understand? It's the tray. I hate how they spell that too. Like I, for, for, before, I could read this along with you when you just said it was the outre. I imagine it was the French spelling, mm-hmm. and then I look. Then I see this, and it's just oh, tray. How would like, you have spelled it? Again, if you do the French pr- spelling, it's like O U T R something goo over the E. One of the most passive-aggressive mainstream movies of recent years. A film that both <laughs> mocks the expectations of its imagined audience and the crude franchise revival imperative of its financial backers. This not is not... exactly uh, wrong. Yeah. No, no, like, hang on. Actually, it's an elevator pitch. I'm kind of with it. <laughs> this is only incorrect in the sense that, it's a, that it claims to be... This is a passively aggressive film. <laughs> Much like Mark. <laughs> Much like Mark in personality. This is much more... <laughs> Much more aggressively, passively antagonistic than purely passive aggressive. Uh, Lillian Crawford of Little White Lies, top critic. The Wachowskis pioneered the modern cinema we know and love. It's fitting the Matrix bent. They didn't. You <laughs> no. It's fitting that the Matrix is back to resurrect it. Okay, no, you I, are I the give same. Cre- I give credit to the Matrix and the Wachowskis with the original ma- for the original Matrix and. It did. I don't want to say it revolutionized sci-fi filmmaking, but it definitely helped shape it for future installments. I don't think any of us are going to ever, you know, deny sure. that. It, it, look, it's the Nirvana of cinema. I'll give you that. I'll give you I that. Hate it, Nirvana. It was... <laughs> everything a lot of things. <laughs> no, it, the impact that it had is unquestionable, and that does need to be recognized whether or not you like the original matrix or not but this movie does not feel like it's in the same thread of this movie that you know essentially just yeah that gave so much more personality shape and voice to the sci-fi genre this is the same kind of person who's going boy spider-man far from home revitalized my love of the theater you mean no way home sure Noel D. Lilly, Chicago reader, top movie. critic, who I think was very much impacted psychologically by the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns that it has affected her judgment. The Matrix Resurrections is a breath of fresh air in a time when reboots are a dime a dozen. It is just a reboot. What the? Your sentence is not internally consistent. Here. It's like, wait, wait. No, the old robot say does not compute. <laughs> So that makes no sense. Shame on you for writing that. So um, the MCU's Bleeding Edge did an entire podcast on CNET's ranking of the MCU's that got everybody, you know, in a tizzy on Twitter one day. And uh, the the heading oh, that that's they the, that's the enti- look that's the only reason people put out ranked lists like that. And I know because I'm going to do one over the next uh, this week. Okay. Um, but my point my is, and I, and I rolled my eyes at this at the time, but I feel like now after reading this, I, I kind of owe them an apology because they were like, CNET is on crack for their, you know, their uh, presumption of ranking in the MCU. And I was like, oh, don't use CNET is on crack as your heading. Come on. Be, be a yet. little more elevated than yet. And yet oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that was actually more closer to the truth than I'm willing to admit. They might <laughs> actually be on crack just collectively. Sure. Um, Let's read the record. Good. For the record, guys, have you ever thought about having us do a uh, end of the year, best of the year, worst of the year kind of 
We uh, Video? we we used to, but we've we, we've pumped we to stay contemporaneous. It's, we we did away with a lot of um, those kinds of shows across the board just because there was no time with everything else we were doing. But okay. it's 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 you know, certainly under consideration. Richard Trenholm of of the of CNET, which is on crack. You might well, expect- C stands for cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> you broke Mark. You might expect Slick Remix, The Matrix Resurrections, to be just money grabbing nostalgia. That but is. it's also it a is. comment on money grabbing nostalgia with guns. Lots of guns. There's not okay, hold on, hold on. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. I have to give, I almost have to give this wasted batch of stem cells credit. <laughs> For in his call out of nostalgia to reference a line from the original Matrix. Robert, I just have to say, I'm impressed that you have gone this far without saying the word hack. It's like you really are digging for options, and I'm very impressed. All right, this will be the last one, and I'm doing this one for Alexis because, you know, the whole tick bird thing that she uh, she came up with on this show. So this is for you. This is how we're going to end the show. Jay Horton of Willamette Week. Take the little blue pill. Okay, stop. Okay, first of all, why is that with a positive? The blue pill is the wake up. The blue pill is do not go, do not see the truth. So that again, that is undoubtedly a tick bird review, but that makes no sense. It's entirely backwards. Also, Mark, I lived not too far from that particular town, and I have to give you the mnemonic device for how to correctly pronounce it. Okay, it's Willamette. Damn it. <laughs> Well, lamb it, damn it. All right. And on that note, uh, what do we think of this Matrix movie? Well, it's well, lamb it, damn it. All right, then. Um, next you know, week. You know what I thought? I thought I had to go to the bathroom and purge myself of this particular experience <laughs> after I watched it. It was terrible. All I just right, wanted so... to go watch the first one again. I think it's on it. I think all the movies are available on HBO Max. You might Probably. as well just go ahead and go watch the original again. They're a much, they're a much better use of your time than this one. <laughs> we kicked off this week with a re-airing of our review of The Hateful Eight, which listening back to it, you and I had a really fun conversation uh, about... Um, <laughs> so two things about my, my observations listening back to our review of The Hateful Eight. I used the phrase face rape way too many times. <laughs> you really did. I, I, boy, if I had a dollar, I'd have been a rich man. I was apparently very obsessed with that phrase at the, at the time. It was, um, your new, it was your new favorite thing, and I chose to just let you have your new favorite thing for one episode. And then the next time I we really did it, really you needed to one. drive home what was happening a lot during that two-hour review. Oh anyway, um, <laughs> but it was a good conversation despite the constant repetitive use of that phrase. Um, myself, look, and- it was our comment on Quentin Tarantino's commentary on race relations. Yeah. Um, David Wright and I reviewed Ghost in the Shell, Aeon Flux, and Ex Machina. That's Ronnie, a, you know what? At least you had Ex Machina in there. The other two, yeah, <laughs> yeah that was about our take. Um, Roddy and I reviewed The Kingsman. It was like one third the length of this podcast, and definitely wait, less you're angry. telling me, you're you're telling me that the the prequel to the Kingsman franchise didn't warrant? Can I just say there was only one comment that I made on that when I showed up for the last bit of your review on that one. Mm-hmm. The only comment I made that I was sad you didn't put up mm-hmm. was in response to one of the reviewers who gave it a positive review and said it was a nice it was uh it, it was nice to have a positive you know film mm-hmm. and there's nothing quite like the trench warfare of world war one to bring <laughs> up the mood yeah 
Tomorrow, um, we will be reviewing Superfly Trap by Lordy, part of the Lordy Versity box set. Lordy. Over time. Um, Alexis and I will be doubling up on. A, we missed the Animaniacs review we were supposed to do at the beginning of the month. So we're doubling up and we're doing Animaniacs Season 2 and Looney Tunes Season 3. And that'll be noon on Thursday, Eastern Standard. And then in the evening time, after I'm done watching Being the Ricardos with my wife, myself and David Wright will be reviewing uh, Foundation on Apple Plus Season 1, which is based on the series of books by Isaac Asimov. Um, on New Year's Eve, uh, we will be getting drunk. I will be working. Um, so there'll be a re-airing of our Cobra Kai season two review, but nothing recorded or live or anything. Uh, New Year's Day will be a re-airing of the Christmas show we did from a few years ago, which is myself and Jesse Starcher doing a career retrospective of Weird Al Yankovic. Woo! Weird Al. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That was a fun show. Uh, we kick off January the following ways. I am still bitter at Paul McCartney for not letting Weird Al do chicken pot pie. Okay. Uh, Go watch his episodes of My Little Pony. He get, plays a character called Cheese Sandwich. Myself. <laughs> He's awesome. Myself, Jesse Starcher, and Evan Bevins awesome. reviewed Mark Russell's Billionaire Island. And somewhere out there, Ronnie Adams cried. Um, <laughs> not a huge fan. Uh, we in the evening time, uh, myself, Jason Teasley, and Pat Mullen will be reviewing you season three, and we're finally caught up there. Um, they'll, Sean Comer making his monthly uh visit to the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, and I will be doing a triple feature for Titane, El Camino, and Christine. Guess the theme. If you do, I'll send you a shiny. Wow, uh, okay. <laughs> I they're all cars and i demand my nickel <laughs> i will send it to you in the mail um and then also we'll be doing an extra because i did shut the door behind everybody and say no nobody gets to be on the spider-man review not nobody not know how except for robert and gavin uh everybody else said well next to you rattledge and they revolted the peasants are revolting you're right they stink on ice and they got together I'm, allegedly I'm just, I'm just gonna say it again <laughs> uh, i i made this reference last time you brought up the same jo joke and i'm gonna excite yeah. my source here the line is you know, the peasants are revolting they've always been revolting but now they're rebelling okay which i uh, first heard because i brought this up last time and didn't give the appropriate source i first heard that on the movie Dragonheart, which stars okay. dennis quaid well, and i'm Connery. referencing the history of the world part one during the french revolution Anyway, See, I was I always go with the chicken run reference. The chickens are revolting. Finally, something we agree upon. Spider-Man roundtable. So a whole bunch of the nerds got together and they will be talking Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I, am, I am so tempted to just like crash that party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to, but I'm tempted. They're meeting in a secret hideaway. Um, <laughs> I, I will I will Bye. show up. I will show up like the Punisher to their mob meeting. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> um, find out if if MCU's Bleeding Edge have done uh, their Spider-Man review yet. Since uh, unfortunately, since Jeff hasn't been able to reach out to me yet, it's like I uh, I'm available to talk. I keep up with theirs. They they're just finished up with Hawkeye, and they've been doing some other stuff, but they have not done Spider-Man No Way Home yet. Just 87 versions of the trailer. Um, oh, I, need to, <laughs> I I do need to watch Hawkeye. That's they re uh, we will be. Good. We will be reviewing WWE Day One, and then Robert and I will be reviewing Don't Look Up and Being the Ricardos on January 4th. Wednesday, uh, the 5th, I've called an audible, 
and inspired by Jeff Sloboda of the MCU's Bleeding Edge um, and his review and his like reaction to just one of their songs, I decided to steal directly from him. And I'll say that I'm a man enough to say that I steal other people's ideas. We're going to review Bandmade Unseen World because I want to see if we do as many views as he did. Um, that and I'm sure it'll be a lovely album. I mean, I mean, it. look, to be fair, Mark, um, about eight months after the review, we did get Dr. Colossus to like the tweet where we said we reviewed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um thursday night uh, i will actually be guesting on another podcast movies that suck and two that don't their year-end wrap-up review i actually have to give him a t i liked uh i sent my top 10 list to chris bailey and he was like this is the kind of thing that a guy with no friends would com would compile I was like, that's what i was going for well done you understood the prompt yeah i got the assignment i understood the assignment um that's i'm going awesome. I'm so the snooty art critic. I don't know what you're doing. So, so you literally just like my ten, my top ten films of the year, and you you did the you did a bunch of quality films rather than. Well, yeah. no, I also had Godzilla vs. Kong in there because I had to be true to myself. <laughs> well, you saw Vogue's list of their top 10 films of the year. Like, at least nine of those, majority of us had never even heard of. Hang on, so say, here, I imagine, real quick. I imagine here. spots one through eight on Vogue's list were Spider-Man No Way Home. So I'll just no, share this really quick. Spider-Man really No Way Home was not on their list. I'll share this really quick. This is my top 10, and I, and I stand by this list. This is a combination of what I thought were the best-made movies plus the ones that I liked the best. It's sort of an amalgamation of yeah, yeah. both of those things. All right? In no particular order. I really just went by release date. Um, well, no. Actually, I, I rearranged this. Never, fuck me. Never mind. Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah. West Side Story. Zola. The Mitchells versus the Machines. Free Guy. Gunpowder Milkshake. Pig. Tick, Tick, Boom. And Wrath of Man. Yep. Bailey's right. <laughs> <laughs> honorable mentions barb and star go to vista del mar nightmare alley spider-man no way home eternals because fuck you that's why you um, only, okay hold on <laughs> you only put that on there to screw with bailey and you I, know it. Oh, well no i put that on there to screw with life um <laughs> you, you don't screw Come on, man. Hasn't life? Why would you give life a, a reason to hit you again? Did we already establish that I'm passively aggressive, um, passively antagonistic? <laughs> and then the eyes of Tammy Faye. And then my five worst movies of the year. One of these I put on there because Robert and I got into like kind of a fight about it. Um, it had less to do with the actual movie itself. It just gives me bad memories. Tell me so, sp either Spencer or House of Gucci's on that list. Neither. Um, the five worst movies of the year. Cherry. Uh, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, Oof. Mortal Kombat. Boy, was that a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, but the only like, one here who liked that? Uh, yes. Um, in, in, in this room, yes. We, we, we don't need to go back over that again. Um, Robert will start yelling at me for making dick jokes because um, he's you in a bad mood. Dude, <laughs> hang on. If we want to talk briefly about that, and I mean very <laughs> briefly, I'm sorry, folks. I'm so if sorry. If you wanted to, if you just had the moment of clarity you had ten minutes ago to say, "Boy, I made a lot of face rape jokes," <laughs> you'd like. I'd like to think that when I said, "Mark, you've made too many dick jokes," <laughs> on the Mortal Kombat review, you took that way more personally than I thought you would. 
Um, anywho, Mortal, Mortal Kombat, which makes me sad. Um, Infinite, and then Snake Eyes. So yeah, there's my there's, there's my no list. Everyone, there's no defending Snake Eyes. There's but, no Mark, defending Snake Eyes. We don't talk about Bruno or Snake Eyes. Mark, you have to you have to ad uh, adjust your list now. It's too late. I've already sent it to him. But why? I'm just saying you have to call an audible then on the show just to say. And by the way, Matrix Resurrections was would have been <laughs> one of my. I submitted this before I watched that. I will. I will make sure to say that. Like, and had I known, had I only known. Anyway, okay, um, Mark. What was worse, Matrix Resurrections or Spencer? Uh, the Matrix Resurrections. Oof. Yeah, I I I can live with Spencer as being just a weirdy weirdo artsy movie. At least it's you know. Because yeah, it, we both it, agree. It's, it's not someone's painful to sit through. It it was, but it wasn't. All, it also wasn't someone's therapeutic assignment. Um. All right, and then so Thursday night after I get done with those fellas, I will be recording with Ronnie and Evan. Um. We will be doing Prisoners of Ghostland, Shadows in the Cloud, and Out of Death. Uh. And then Friday night, myself and David Wright yet again will be reviewing Lost in Space season three. Those are my plugs. That's what I do. And now I'm going to put something on the screen for all of you. <laughs> that that's your cue to do your plugs, Alexis. Okay. We're, we're still pro <laughs> we're still processing what you consider <laughs> hip hop. All right, honeysuckle I, I, rose. I have expected him to go bars. <laughs> honeysuckle rose creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We are doing a big post-holiday sales those of you who did not get everything that you wanted from santa everything in our, both of our shops on etsy and handmade at amazon are 15 percent off all of our uh, as you can see here our earrings our ribbon chokers our hair barrettes our charm bracelets our wire wrapped dice necklaces it is all 15 percent off so you got if you didn't get what you wanted from Santa, just go ahead and head over to our shop. As usual, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Instagram page is temporarily down. We are having uh, some minor issues. I'm not going to go into details here, but it's a little ugly. But uh, because of that, our Facebook page is still open, but we are updating it limit uh, in a limited capacity, and our Instagram page is just non-existent at this point i'm really hoping to get this resolved here before the new year so fingers crossed on that front but of course both of our shops are open you can always reach out to us uh, through the shops or on twitter our twitter page is still open again that's honeysuckle rose creations where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic hey um also and i'll, I'll kind of start this and then you can finish the new uh, the trivia topic for the month of January is video games. They usually record on a Saturday in the middle of the month. So if you are interested, Alexis, uh, how can people who might be hearing this who also want to talk about video games be on your trivia show? Tripped Up Trivia, that's right. We just aired our December show. That theme was uh, Christmas. That was a lot of fun. Not every answer was Dominic the Christmas Donkey. <laughs> Never going to let that uh, look, I imagine none of the answers would dominate the Christmas donkey. Oh, one unless, of them was. One unless, was. <laughs> unless what is unless the question is what is Mark's uh, seasonal psychosis and how does it manifest? <laughs> Hee haw. <laughs> but yes, uh, to tie into the release of Uncharted, which is coming out, which I am genuinely looking forward to. I think it's going to be a fun movie. I'm still torn on that, but I think it's torn leaning positive. 
There you go. But yes, uh, we the theme for Scripta Trivia in January is going to be video games. Uh, and this is not just current video games, not just nostalgia games. We're going to try to encompass all of them. We're going to try and go. I have so many questions I can submit to you about Pepsi, man. It's a way obscure reference no one's going to get, but I could do it. Okay. <laughs> Reach out to uh, the Rydalich of Broadcasting Network either on Facebook or on Twitter if you are interested in playing. We've got a couple of contestants lined up right now. Among them, uh, two of our contestants who played on uh, May's Sci-Fi Trivia have said that they want to come back and play. I need to get a hold of them now <laughs> and make sure that we're still on for that. But they were a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to bringing them back. Uh, Jesse Starcher mentioned that there's another podcaster who wants to play. Unfortunately, I don't have the name in front of me at the moment so sorry jesse but i know that he's taking care of that but yes if you are interested in playing reach out to us on facebook or twitter let us know all right robert do your thing which thing i have so many so you could start by blowing your nose That's not quite a, as good an attempted outro as you've thrown at me before, but I appreciate it. Um, I genuinely okay. thought I had just talked into the end of the show. <laughs> I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week for 411mania.com. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW stuff whenever it comes out. It's going to be a Thursday going forward as my camera's frozen. Uh, but I don't think I'm just going to leave it. It's not worth fixing at this point. And WWE SmackDown on Friday, so you can listen. You can find my reviews for all of those over in the MMA in the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com if you're so inclined. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We took this last week off because there was nothing to review or preview, and it was the day after Christmas. So I figured, no, we will be back this Sunday with a uh, a year-end review for 2020. That's pretty much going to be it, or for 2021, rather, excuse me. And that's pretty much going to be it. Uh, then the week after, we'll preview the first UFC event of 2022. Part of the thought process is there uh, uh, on this next show. I can go over my year-end awards, which I will be typing up as well in the next little bit, and that will be in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Then in a couple of weeks, I'll be covering the UFC once they start back up, and that's, I believe, the 15th. And it's a card headlined by Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater. If you like strikers, that's a great card. That's a great main event, rather. The card's okay. Uh, and I think that's it. Again, Mark went over a lot of the other stuff I've got coming up here. So, yeah, that's it. Oh, last thing. Uh, I, I promise, last thing. Everyone, we've had a really good December. In point of fact, our December was better than our November. And our November was pretty much one of our best months ever. So I just as the year starts coming to a close, I do want to give a very heartfelt thank you to everyone out there who has liked, who has subscribed, who has commented, who has shared, who has engaged with us, be it live or after the fact. Uh, we appreciate the heck out of all of you. Uh, please keep it up. Please continue to do that. It helps us continue to grow this little endeavor we've got going on. And uh, we thank you all very, very much for it. Uh, we're hoping for an even better January. So just again, another thank you. And we're going to keep on trucking as the year turns over. And we'll just see what the the rehash of 2020 has for us. Because it's 2020 the sequel, right? 2022? Eh, get it? I'm funny. 
And on that note, everyone have a happy and safe new year. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>